Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Starts the third and drives one the other way down the line. If it's fair, he's got another. He does. Adolis Garcia owning October. Playing the villain role to perfection. Tom, take it away. Here's the five ball. Hold on one second. Back goes eight of the wall. And Adolis Garcia has hit another home run. Impossible. His fifth in the last four games. He owns Houston. Grounded a second. Two years removed from losing 100. The Rangers have won the pennant. And they will play in the World Series for the first time since 2011. Well, we have one more thing to do before we let these guys go party. It's the American League Championship MVP. There is no doubt. Adolis Garcia, come get your hardware. Why does this happen every single year? Every single year, it has to be a former Cardinal that goes out there and wins the ALCS MVP. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio is courtesy of Fox yesterday as the Texas Rangers go out there and defeat the Houston Astros. They end up winning that series four games to three. And it is Adolis Garcia who ends up winning the ALCS MVP. Alex, as you can imagine, this stirred up some Cardinals fans last night. No. Dulles Garcia in that series was spectacular. He put together a historic performance, and he deserved to win ALCS MVP. 15 RBI in that series, more than anyone has ever produced in a single postseason series in the history of the baseball game. We've been playing this game for quite some time. No. Four straight games with a home run. That is tied for the most in any playoff series in the history of baseball. He is the second player in Major League Baseball series to finish with four hits and a home run in a game seven. So pretty good stuff for one Adolis Garcia. And as you probably know, Adolis Garcia once donned a Cardinals uniform. Yeah, but it was only for like five games. They saw what they needed to see from him. And then they said, you're not good enough. 21 games. 21 games is how long he was in a Cardinals. That's uniform. 20. That's five games in Cardinal years. 17 at bats. Yikes. 17 at bats is what he was given the opportunity to do here in St. Louis. Now, Alex, a lot of Cardinals fans today are mad. They're angry. They're are upset they? because you've got on one hand tonight, Zach Allen, who's going to be on the mound, most likely for the Arizona Diamondbacks at some point coming out of the bullpen. He's amazing. Potential Cy Young candidate. 
In Texas, you've got Adolis Garcia. In Tampa, you've got Randy Rosarena. These guys would sure look good in a Cardinals uniform, and all of them are elsewhere. Why? What happened? Alex, I think I have a little bit of a different takeaway on this than most. Oh, this will be good. Adolis Garcia was DFA'd by the Cardinals after the 2019 season. Now he's ALCS MVP. That's where the conversation seems to be ending for a lot of folks. There's no talk about what took place between the end of the 2019 season when Garcia was DFA'd by the Cardinals and now when he is this season a legit all-star for the Texas Rangers and now the ALCS MVP. Well, let's have the conversation about what actually took place between those five years of baseball. At the time that he was DFA'd, he was going to be going into his age 27 season. He had a 250 batting average down in AAA for the Cardinals. He struck out one in every three plate appearances. In 21 games in the big leagues, he had a 118 batting average. In other words, he was Luke and Baker light. He came up to the big leagues, looked completely overmatched in very few at-bats, albeit, but was solid. He wasn't even as productive in the minor leagues as what you saw this year from Luke and Baker. So they decided to DFA him. At the time, honestly, it was defensible because you look at what they had in their outfields. Man, the next year, the Cardinals outfield outperformed anything that you saw from Adolis Garcia. Why? Because Adolis Garcia didn't even play for the Rangers the next year. So he needed to be on the 40-man roster. And guess what? The Rangers then decide we're going to DFA him too going into the 2020 season or coming out of the 2020 season. So prior to 2021, any team in Major League Baseball, all they had to do, Alex, was say, we will allow you a spot not on our 26-man roster, our 40-man roster, and you can come play for us. Not a single one of them took the bite. Not a single one of them. Every single team in Major League Baseball said that guy's not worth a roster spot for us. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what very few people actually are willing to. Give the player the credit. The player developed. And why he developed is because he was given the opportunity and time in Texas. You know why that happened in Texas? Because they sucked. (laughs) They were terrible. And so it became about development for them and not about on-field results. That is something that when you are contending every year the way that the Cardinals hope to and plan to and believe they will, they don't have time for that. And that is how you end up with Randy Arozarena down in Tampa Bay. That is how you end up with Adolis Garcia down in Texas. These teams had the benefit of time. Now, for Tampa, they identified talent. The Cardinals went with defense, which everybody in our audience seemed to love at the time, and now tells me that that's why Mike Schiltz was the greatest manager in the history of baseball. Well, that also had the unintended consequence of sending Randy Rosarena elsewhere because he went with the defenders over Randy, who was a bit of a liability defensively at the time. So I say all of that to say this. Yes, the Cardinals missed on Adolis Garcia. So did every single team in Major League Baseball as recently as three seasons ago. The Rangers are the ones that get to write the history because they're the ones that ended up with him because he was already there. So he was just sent down to the minors because that's where his stuff was. So that's where I'm at on this, Alex. Well, first of all, I'd like to send a uh, future congratulations to one of Dylan Carlson or Tyler O'Neill for winning a future CS MVP whenever they get traded this uh, offseason. Well, the lesson learned is we got to keep our talent. Well, that's true. Or congrats to you on, on keeping your starting job this season in the outfield for the Cardinals. But you're right. Like, you see what happens with the Garcia, and the, and the initial reaction is, oh, great, another Randy or Rosarena. But the difference in this one is, like, everything. Literally everything. (laughs) And and do you know how infuriating Adolis Garcia would have been for Cardinals fans from 2018 up until 
the year he hits 30 bombs in the season, people would be screaming from their mountaintops going, get rid of this guy. He strikes out and only hits home runs. What else does he do? We don't need that. Like, that's what we'd be talking about right now. So Adolis Garcia winning the MVP. Yeah, you know what? It sucks. It sucks when you see guys that were on your team go somewhere else and have success. You know how much it burned my saddle when Ben Bishop used to just win everything? We can talk about current if you want with the Blues. It it pisses me (laughs) off. But, like, this is sports. And Jake Wallman, did you enjoy watching him with the Blues? How's that going with him up in Detroit? He's he's not doing much right now. It's fine. He's like a secondary defenseman. Let's not get into this, all right? five minutes a night. (laughs) It's trash. It's for a bad team, right? That's what they say. Yeah, Vince Dunn's in the Norris Trophy conversation. That's always fun. Norris Trophy's a joke. Sometimes guys end up developing when they're given opportunities elsewhere. It happens. And every general manager identifies talent incorrectly. And the problem is you're focused so much on the Cardinals and well, John Mosellock, let's list off the Zach Gallons and the Sandy Alcantara's and the Dolores Garcia. Yeah, exactly. But this is what happens. So as much as it sucks to watch a Dolores Garcia win that, I can imagine every other general manager is sitting at home in their scuba gear suit, crying into their bowl of popcorn that Adolis Garcia, they just didn't give him that chance. Yep. Because they could have had him too. Yeah. Hey, you want? You think the Ranger or the the Yankees, excuse me, would like to have an Adolis Garcia? You think the Dodgers would have liked to have an Adolis Garcia? Of course, every team in Major League Baseball could use Adolis Garcia right now because he's an incredible baseball player, man, and he's fun as hell. Like this guy is going to be awesome to watch on the biggest stage because the guy just has a flair for the dramatic. So credit to him, man. But to your point on Cardinals fans, probably if he was here wanting to give up on him every st- every moment, let me give you a couple of the years in which that would have taken Stop. Place. The text line is very upset that we're I defending know. the front office. And again, we've been critical of them all year long. They deserved every ounce of the criticism this year. They were wrong, 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 wrong on just about everything. Just so take off your Mo underwear. They BK. deserve all of the criticism in the world, but just not for this. Like, and- if we're going to be fair, we we can be critical while also being fair. And it's unfair in my mind to be critical of this specific it, move. It would be different if the Rangers didn't DFA him, I think. If the Rangers don't DFA him, then I could hear the argument of, well, they let him slip away. But Maybe, they, they, but got, even, they cut him off the 40 man. Did it take this long it, to, for him to continue to have success in your scenario? Because I, I actually don't think even then I would have a whole lot of criticism for him because... It took five years for him to become this kind of a player, and that's not a bad thing inherently, but it took until he was like 30 years old to really become a productive big leaguer. So in 2021, he had a 740 OPS. He got on base 28% of the time, which is horrific. He struck out one in every three at-bats. Again, horrific. His OPS that season was worse than Harrison Bader or Dylan Carlson. Oh, yeah. People he wasn't going to play for you yep. in 2021 because you didn't have a DH at that point in time. All right. Continuing on 2022, 755 OPS again, an on base percentage right at 300, which is terrible. Struck out still 30 percent of the time, which is a terrible number. He basically the same OPS that year as Juan Yepes. So where is he playing? Where is he fitting into your plans? He didn't. He didn't fit into the Cardinals' plans. He wasn't going to get the playing time that he needed in order to develop as a player. He goes on elsewhere, has success, ends up getting the opportunities that were necessary. By the way, used the COVID year to be able to get bigger, stronger, faster. Credit to him for all of that as well. Adolis Garcia is a success story in Major League Baseball. He is a miss for every team in the sport because any team could have had him multiple times.
and they decided not to. So credit to the player. I will be critical of the Cardinals for a lot. This is just not one of those opportunities where I think it is just a couple of things. One, somebody texted in and said, Tyler O'Neill is our Adolis Garcia. It's just that one had a happy ending, which I kind of agree with. You're kind of doing the same thing with Tyler O'Neill right now. The other one that says, is, yes, this all sucks, but my bigger issue is the Cardinals never get it right. I know it feels like Lars Newbar. Do we, do we just pretend like Lars Newbar doesn't exist well, or Nolan Gorman doesn't or Brendan exist? Brendan Donovan or Tommy Edman? I mean, like or Jordan Walker. The recent it, this is the problem, like recency bias, where you see guys to go on and have success. He's like, well, we never have success with this, but like they've had plenty of success. And here I am again, just defending the front office. But there's been success right now because the team has been bad for a couple of years. That's where it feels like that there's zero success by this team. But look at what they have on the roster and look at what they have in the minor league systems. They have success. The problem is identifying talent when you're trading, which is always my concern with this Cardinals team. I, I think it's more so just people are upset because like they haven't seen their guys star in October. People are upset because the Cardinals are losing. Period. End of story. That's it. Well, and, and like not just losing because they were bad this year, but because they keep losing in October. Yeah, they right. can't do and anything in a wild card or like, three game series. Lars Dupar is a success, but you just haven't seen it in October. And I, I think that's all this circles down to is if if the Cardinals were a team that were the Diamondbacks this year, were in the NLCS, we're not even talking about it. By the Garcia. way, the Diamondbacks weren't very good this year. Like, can we just be honest about it? The Diamondbacks were a super mediocre team up all them. season long. And guess what? They're a game away from winning the World Series, or for go, from going to the World Series. That that's what October is. Like some of the guys that have starred in October for them, Alec Thomas, for example. I really like Alec Thomas. I am a sucker for his type of game. He's a defensive first center fielder that plays with speed and pizzazz. That is like prototypical BK player right there. A left-handed bat, like Alec Thomas has every quality that I need in a player. He was a terrible hitter this year. A, an absolutely awful hitter, like 25% below league average. Cardinals fans would have been begging for him to be pulled out from the lineup, and it would have been justified. Guess what? He's been really good for them so far in the postseason. He's had some big-time moments for the Diamondbacks. That's what October is. October is a moment where even guys that had down seasons can go out there and star for your baseball team. Think about the Cardinals of yesteryear. Think about the guys that come to mind immediately for you that were had star level moments or helped you end up going to a World Series, whether it's pitchers, hitters, whoever. There's dozens of them, regardless of what era of Cardinals baseball you were a fan of first, that you can immediately draw back yeah. upon and say to yourself, man, that guy was awesome. Like David Freeze pretty good one there's a but like you can go beyond that there's there's dozens of them here in this organization alone that's what's happening right now across major league baseball so adolis garcia awesome story for the sport awesome story just for himself i will be critical of the cardinals with the randy rosarena thing i think they missed there i think they got that wrong i think it was an italian of talent evaluation issue and I also think they just put way too much emphasis on getting a left-handed starter that can come in and help them in their in their rotation. So I will be critical of them for that. On this one, been missing on Adolis Garcia along with the rest of Major League Baseball. Nah, man. I'm going to go ahead and give him a pass on this one. And if you think that that's us, like, caping for the organization, more power to you. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Alex... Are we seeing some signs of life from the Blues power play? And what do you think of the changes that they made to that unit yesterday? We'll get into that coming up at 1130. But coming up next, watch football game last night. There was a 49ers team that was on the screen that didn't resemble the one that I saw two weeks ago. Are they hitting a speed bump 
or has this train gone off the tracks? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Purdy, back to pass him and he needs to sack him. He loops it over the middle. Intercepted! Yes! The Vikings beat the Niners and Cam Bynum has a two-interception night. These sour-ass Niners can go ahead and get out of town. Yikes. That was Paul Allen, one of my favorite radio hosts in the country, one of my favorite play-by-play guys in the NFL. That audio is courtesy of the Vikings Radio Network. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Alex, that was a surprise last night. I didn't have that one on my bingo card. The Minnesota Vikings, who came into the game 2-4, and four, at home on Monday night football against the San Francisco 49ers, who yesterday our text line corrected us when we say when we said, hey, it's the Eagles and the Chiefs and then everybody else. Our text line was like, hey, 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 what about the 49ers? Yeah, what about them? Are they right now, Alex, hitting a speed bump where they're going to get this stuff corrected and it's going to be fine, especially as they get healthier? Or are we seeing the train go off the tracks a little bit in San Francisco? I kind of am. I, look, I don't think it's going to go off the tracks in terms of this team's going to miss out on the playoffs. They're still going to be a Super Bowl contender because you have way too many weapons uh, and they're dealing with some injuries right now. Um, but I'm a little concerned in terms of the interceptions that we're seeing with Brock Purdy and the decision makings. I mean, you go, what, five weeks straight, six weeks straight with zero interceptions and then back to back weeks, you've thrown three total against a decent defense in Cleveland and then a defense in Minnesota that I don't know how the hell they pulled that off against Brock Purdy. So uh, it's going to go off the tracks in terms of uh, starting to question Brock Purdy's ability to lead this team deep into a postseason run. But I don't think it's going to go off the tracks in terms of not being a Super Bowl contender because they still have McCaffrey, Ayuk, Samuel, and they still have Kyle Shanahan, and he's going to get the best out of whoever his quarterback is. Yeah, I I think they'll get things kind of turned around. But I think you saw last night that, and I've said this and gotten pushed back on it, Brock Purdy's just not a difference maker. He's a game manager, and he can do what is needed when all the weapons are there in San Francisco. But no Debo, no Trent Williams last night, and in a drive in which they had a chance to win the game down by five, he's not going to be a guy that's a quarterback that you fear in the NFL. Like, they got the ball last night, and I went, okay, they might be able to score, but, like, I wasn't too terrified that the 49ers were going to go on a drive in the two-minute drill. And what's Brock Purdy do? He goes on the run and throws a (laughs) terrible pass, and it's intercepted. So I, I think they can turn it around, and I think when they're healthy, they still are one of those... I think they're probably the second best team in the NFC behind the Philadelphia Eagles, and they could get to the Super Bowl if things go their way if they run into the Eagles or the Eagles get knocked out in the playoffs at some point. But the biggest difference for me is Brock Purdy is better than what they had when they got to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, but he's not significantly better. He still falls into that kind of Kirk Cousin range of quarterback to where he's a good quarterback, he's a good game manager, but he's not a difference maker for you. Yeah, I I agree with everything you guys have said. I I think it's a speed bump. I think this team's going to be fine, ultimately. I think their defense is still really good. They have had a pass rush issue where that hasn't really shown up over the last couple of weeks, which is weird. They didn't sack cousins at all last night which was surprising it's weird that's their identity everything about this team is built on hey we get after the passer and we are going to be amazing offensively specifically in the running game well their running game hasn't been as good lately and their pass rush hasn't existed lately if they get those two things corrected which i think will happen i think christian mccaffrey getting healthy trent williams getting healthy will go a long way in that regard that being said their schedule ain't easy man 
You see what they have coming up. So next week they are at home against Cincinnati. Cincinnati, I believe, is coming off their bye week, if I'm not mistaken, going into that one. So hopefully Joe Burrow will be at or near 100% in that one. Then the 49ers have their bye week. Coming out of the bye, Alex, they go to Jacksonville. They're at home against Tampa Bay. And then at Seattle, home against Philly, home against Seattle. That stretch that we're looking at over the next six weeks and five games, that's going to tell us everything we need to know. That will determine, is this just a blip on the radar or is this thing going in the wrong direction quicker than any of us could have possibly anticipated? If they come out of that and they're like three and two, in that stretch of games, so you're talking about a team that's 8-4 and four after week 13, they're fine. If they go anything worse than that, I'm going to have some serious questions about whether or not they're a legitimate contender for a Super Bowl. They're still good. Super Bowl contention, though, I think will be in question after that stretch if they end up going under 500. Yeah, I mean, I watch the Kansas City Chiefs. I've seen the Philadelphia Eagles, and like when I've seen those two teams play and I've seen them at their worst, they're still competitive. And San Francisco in these back-to-back games, like, yeah, it's been competitive. They've had the chance to come back and win, but I never once felt like San Francisco was going to come back in that game, if that makes sense. Whereas I watch Kansas City, I watch Philadelphia, every second of those games, I'm like, okay, they're going to come back and probably win this one so let's talk a little bit about the Kansas City Chiefs I'm gonna open this up to you guys because I don't want people thinking that I'm some homer over here why would they do that I'm the Chiefs fan and so I'm gonna say all the positive things about the Chiefs blah 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 I think they're off I think they should trade Mahomes do you know the Chiefs are the first team to be top five in offense defense and special teams by week seven since the 1999 St. Louis Rams let me say that again The only team in the last 25 years to be top five in offense, defense, and special teams at this point in the season were your greatest show on turf, St. Louis Rams. And now the Kansas City Chiefs in 2023. Chiefs right now are number four in offense, number five uh, on defense, and number two on special teams. The other teams to accomplish this feat, the 1984 Washington football team, the 1985 Bears, you may remember them, the 1990 Giants, the 91 Washington football team, and the 1996 Packers. Four of these five teams ended up going on to win the Super Bowl, by the way. Hot damn. Alex, are the Chiefs still the best team in the NFL after all of us talking about how their offense was putrid for the first, like, six weeks of the year? Yeah, which is wild for me to say because they're the best team in the NHL with, like, nobody as a wide receiver for them. Like, I know they've got guys, but it's nobody that you'd write home about thinking like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith like the Philadelphia Eagles have or Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. Like, your playmakers are the same playmakers that got it done last year and that have consistently gotten it done with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And they're still the best team right now, I would say, in the AFC, arguably in the NFL. Because I can hear the argument for Philadelphia. San Francisco's taking a dip back. But, yeah, I don't know how they keep doing it other than the fact that when you have two of the elites playing on the offensive side and then the elite Chris Jones on the other side makes sense that you're always in this position yeah I I think they are the best team in the NFL I mean their defense just puts them over the top now and you got the best quarterback in the NFL and though like I agree with what you said about the wide receiver core they probably need another wide receiver I mean Travis Kelsey is essentially their AJ Brown that's how they, they treat him I know he's listed as a tight end but that's what he is I mean he has 10 11 receptions like per game he is a he is their version of that go-to wide receiver. So do they need a wide receiver? Probably would probably make them a little bit more balanced to have two guys there. But I don't even know if they need that because they've just got Travis Kelsey, and he is such a oh. 
difference maker. He's like their cheat code. As much as Tyreek Hill is a cheat code for the Dolphins, Travis Kelsey is the Chiefs' cheat I code. I still think they need another wide receiver, though. I do, too. Like, I, they need... They don't, I, it doesn't need to be anything great, by yeah, the way. You just need something. Hunter Renfro from the Las Vegas Raiders, they have just completely punted on the idea of him being a part of their roster. Fine. Bring him to Kansas City. Uh, Kendrick Warren, who had a really nice week this week for the New England Patriots. Solid uh, possession receiver. Great. Bring him to Kansas City. Somebody that fits into that kind of criteria that it's third and six, get open. They need somebody other than Travis Kelsey that can fit that criteria. I think Rasheed Rice is building into that. I think Rasheed Rice is legitimately good. You got to have more than two passing options on any given play. MVS is not consistent enough to be that guy. McCall Hardman certainly is not consistent enough to be that guy. We've seen at this point Sky Moore, not that guy. Kadarius Toney, not that guy. Go find one. Go get yourself somebody, and you could get it for like a day three pick. Those guys exist out there in uh, out there for pretty cheap at the deadline. By the way, the deadline is now one week away, so we're getting close to uh, it's time when these teams are going to be having to make some serious deals. Chiefs are at Denver this week, and the next week is the real test over in Germany against the Miami Dolphins. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. I agree with you guys. Chiefs right now, best team in the NFL, and strangely enough, it's because of the defense. That defense has a chance to be top three in the league by the end of the season. This week was the first week they had their full allotment of pass rushers available. Chris Jones and Charles Charles Minahue, who came off of his suspension, they might be getting better instead of getting worse. Are they adding Frank Clark, or is he already on the team? Sounds like he might be coming in uh, this week at some point, too. Good. Run it back. Arnold, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon <laughs> Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. By the way, you guys can always watch the show on YouTube. We are live for every single show here on BK and Ferrario. 101 ESPN STL is where you go to find it. You can watch us on the studio cams powered by the Air Alliance team. Coming up next, the power play has yet to score a goal, but are we starting to see some signs of life from the unit? And what did Alex make of the changes that the Blues decided to make at Morning Skate yesterday? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, I'm BK. Blues back in action tonight against the Winnipeg Jets. Pre-game coverage for that one with Alex and Joe starts at 645. That's all, of course, right here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. Alex, the power play has yet to score a goal this season. That's not ideal. They're one of, what would you say yesterday, two teams, T-Bone? Yep. That can say that. Them and the Washington. Washington. Yeah. Washington's also the only team that has not led in a game. It's not what you want. <laughs> it's, it's certainly not what and you I want. I think Ovechkin has not scored yet. How about this stat, too, from our buddy Matthew DeFranks at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch? The last five, I think it was the last five years, team that has scored the last power play goal has missed the playoffs every year. Well, that makes sense. Oh, what's the second to last team that scored a power play goal? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he didn't have that Okay, I should check that one out then. Yeah, Ovechkin does not have a goal yet this Speaking season. Speaking of Matthew DeFranks, in his piece earlier today in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, he wrote a little bit about the Blues power play unit. 
He said the Blues have four power plays in their last two games. They've generated a total of nine shots on those four power plays. Those four power plays have accumulated 12 scoring chances, five high danger chances in the first two games of the season as a little bit of a comparison. The Blues has allowed as many shorthanded shots as they produced with the man advantage. So the power play is starting to get opportunities that you would expect, Alex. They're just not going in the back of the net just yet. If they continue playing like this, is the opposite of what I've said about the Blues at five on five. If the Blues power play continues producing opportunities the way they have in their last two games, this thing's going to get back on track quicker rather than later. They have also made a shift to the way that this unit is going to operate. Brandon Saad has gone up to the top uh, unit. He's going to push Braden Shin over to the bumper. Kasperi Kapanen has moved from the bumper spot on the first unit down to the second unit. They wanted to be able to have Brandon Saad with his line mates, essentially, because they've got some chemistry now with Thomas and Cairo. Alex, do you think we're starting to see the power play get back on track? And what do you think of the decision to switch up the power play units a little bit? I like the decision to switch it. And look, Brandon Saad's playing in the position that is Pavel Buchnevich is. And when Buch comes back, I would imagine he's going to go right there. But you're going with the hotline right now. And you're putting the three of them together with Braden Shen. Uh, I, I do feel like we're starting to see progress with this. And this is what I anticipated. And look, not scoring a power play goal this, this many times is concerning. But I didn't expect most teams don't practice the power play in preseason training camp until the last couple of days and then you just put it into action once you start playing games so it's going to take a little bit of time um the last two games and specifically you break it down it's two separate units so that game against arizona uh they had five shots on goal and it was the unit that baruby started with kevin hayes and the second unit that had brandon sod on it by the way that's the one that generated five. That was the best power play shift that I've seen all season. And then that one against Pittsburgh was the first one that Malkin scored the shorthanded goal on. Man, the Blues were inches away from scoring, and Tristan Jari just kept it out of the net. But you had three shots, and that was with your first unit that didn't have Sod on it. So the fact that you had two successes with those pieces, and now you're flipping them around, I think is going to bode well for him. Here's the issue. they got to start winning faceoffs. Oh, if you lose the faceoff... This team is not very good at getting set and entering the offensive zone on a power play. What teams do is they stand them up on the blue line. So they force them to dump it in because the blues like to do the fancy drop pass. And then the dude skates in really fast. They stand them up at the blue line. They put four guys there. That game against Pittsburgh was more of they go behind the net and win the puck battle, have that puck support and then get set up. If you do that, if you win faceoffs, we're talking about a team that can pass and they've got a lot of shooters on it. I, I, the biggest thing for me, too, outside of the faceoffs, is they still need a one-time threat on the power play yeah, units. I, Brad true. is the only guy that brings it, and he's on that second unit right now. And I've been preaching that since the after the second game. And I know they're getting opportunities and it's starting to look a little bit better. They still need a one-time threat because it's the most dangerous play in hockey. Question Five is, who four. are you taking off? I mean, I would push Thomas down. I really would. I, he's on that spot on his offhand. And every time he gets a puck, it slows down the power play. Why? Because he has to get it, has to settle, and then he has to either look to pass or he's going to have to just wrist a shot on goal. And a wrister, like, as good as I like, and I like Thomas's shot, it's just not, it's it's completely different compared to a one-time threat. And that is the one thing that they've been solely missing on this power play since David Perron signed with the Detroit Red Wings. And I think it's why it took a massive drop-off last year, and I think it's why you're continuing to see some struggles this year. I I would like to see Verona on that first unit. I, I don't mind what they're doing right now. Saad being up there, I think, is going to help them quite a bit. 
I would also add this. If they continue to put these kinds of chances on net, the unit is going to both units are going to start having some success. Like you're going to start seeing some of these go in. And Alex, I would continue on with that. If the Blues end up having, say, a top 10 power play unit this year, I don't know how likely that is. It, It hasn't looked good enough for me to be there. But in a hypothetical scenario where they get there, it changes a lot about how I feel about this team. Because then you can essentially just bleed out the clock at five on five, wait for your power play opportunities, use that as where you get your offense, and then just say, you know what? That's kind of who we are. Like you become a team that is a ground and pound offense that wins with defense in the NFL. That's the NFL equivalent of this. Like you're Iowa, you're Iowa football. It's ugly. It's going to take, just like with Iowa, some special teams opportunities. Maybe you need a safety to be able to win a football game. You need a pick six. You need some of those opportunities to go in for you. And that's kind of how the Blues are playing right now. They're grinding it out at five on five, hoping and praying, hey, don't get anything against us at five on five. We'll try to get our rush opportunities going the other way. See if those go in as they did on Saturday. And if not, hopefully it's able to draw some kind of a penalty for us. And then, boom, we get back out there on the power play unit. That's kind of the that that is the formula for this team to be a contender. That's what they've done in the past prior to two years not ago. To the, not to this extent. Well, this is more boring and this is less successful at five on five than they have been is, in previous years. Again, understand in five on five. You're right. Like possession has been more in the neutral zone and the defensive zone than the offensive zone. But I, I mean, this is. This is how the Blues like to work. They like to work boring hockey. They like to bore the opponent. It's not the high-powered offense that we saw in the past. And I, I got a little too excited all over my skis in preseason thinking that we'd see more offense. And I think the offense will get an uptick because it takes time. We saw it against Pittsburgh. Now you're getting into a little bit more of flow where you're playing more consistent games rather than four or five days off in between. But, like... This is what Craig Berube wants. He wants low-scoring games, and he wants a team that has the power play opportunity to capitalize. You know the other thing that I just looked up as to why that number one unit was struggling so much? Tory Krug has a total of five shots in four games. He's got to be better. you got to start putting the putt. Now, and I know Tory Krug is a guy that likes to pass. This is where the one-time play comes in. And if it's not working, I would look at a Verona because he would work well like a Pasternak did in Krug with that quick one-time release. But Krug's got to put more pucks on that because if you're going to have Sod as the guy that's in front or if it's going to be Booch or it's Kapanen, whomever's playing there, they're getting to the front. They're doing what Craig Bruby has asked, but the pucks aren't getting there. So you got to start taking it away from the shin pads of the defensive players and start putting it on the net. Uh, it looks like Jordan Bennington, first goalie off the ice today. What? I would have expected somebody else. Big big, big news uh, up in big news. Or, uh, in Winnipeg. Uh, Blues, it appears, going with Jordan Bennington and Ned huh. tonight. And so Connor Hellebuck's on the other side. They're going to have a chance to win this one, so that's nice. Uh, right. Now that this we know that we don't need to be so def- negative towards Holford. definitely going to be like a 1 nothing 2 1 game. Oh, dude, Winnipeg. Hellebuck's Winnipeg. Uh, see, but Winnipeg's been going through it. Hellebuck's given up like. Yeah, you told me that against Arizona, too. Dude, have you seen Hellebuck's numbers? I don't care. Okay. Doesn't matter. Good to know. We don't want to be in the offensive zone. Yeah, no, this is. Unless we're on a power play. They we signed out. They yeah, signed Connor Howard Hall- plays. We're like, no, yeah, no, no we're, good. we're good. They signed Connor Hallibuck to a, uh, what is it? A seven year contract worth yeah. 8.25 in the last three games. He's given up three goals, five goals and four goals. It's fine. So he's, also, he's also gone up against Florida, LA and Edmonton. I'd say the, the competition level is going to be a little different tonight. I don't know. No, Bin- no disrespect. I don't know. Bennington's made the saves when he's needed to. He has. He's been great. Jordan Bennington has been outstanding so far this year, and that's why they've got a chance tonight in net. With Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Questions and answers coming up next. 
We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Nine six four six is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. T-Bone, let's start with this for you. Guys, after his amazing performance this year, do you think City will be able to keep Roman Berkey around? Uh, I would say yes, probably for another year. I don't know what his contract looks like, and I haven't heard any buzz of anybody that would want to want to acquire him outside of St. Louis. So I'd say probably if anything, you probably got one more year. Roman Berkey would be my guess before potential Europe teams start calling. Give him a contract for life. That's my status. Give him a key to the city. I think he's earned it. They built this city. He's making one point five million dollars. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. He's uh, I mean, I think he's the highest paid player on the team. Yeah, he is. Um, But I think MLS like their whole cap system. It's 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 weird. I think three and uh, two or They're three like guys don't count players. a cap against the cap, and he's one of them for sure. It's a three-year deal that he signed whenever he came over. So, so probably after next year, you could hear some buzz of a team wanting to pay to tra- get his transfer. Um, but he could, I mean, he could honestly, back. he could honestly just yeah. play out all three years. It, it just depends if there's interest over in Europe because he's not going to want to leave for a job playing in Denmark or a job playing in the Netherlands. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service sex line from the 618. Guys, anybody else excited for the NBA tonight? I certainly am. A couple of good games. Uh, Lakers Nuggets. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then Suns versus Warriors as well. You guys have any NBA takes going into this upcoming season? Now just let me know when the conference yeah. finals start. Talk to me when we get to the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, like it's the frozen frenzy tonight. I don't care about NBA. That's cool. I like what the NHL. I hope that they in. I hope they instill this in postseason play. Like I hope they. I I really want them when the postseason starts to do that first night all Western Conference teams, and then the next night all Eastern Conference teams and stagger them. Like until you're doing pregame coverage at nine o'clock. I'm going to be doing it either way. The St. Louis (laughs) Blues, if they're in the playoffs, are playing at the nine o'clock start. It's how this thing works. Oh, Central Division. They'll play in the West Coast time zone. They don't bleep and care. I love this Lakers team. That's my take is I'm a LeBron honk, and I love the way that they constructed this team. He's I, old I think it's really, up. really good. Um, so that's that's one thing that I'm looking Everybody forward to. Everybody playoffs. I also love that Giannis decided to stay. I heard Stephen A. Smith, our boy on uh, his show, being that's a bad decision. Why? I don't listen. I just saw the little lower third. The, sure. the same reason that the Lions had to prove themselves against Baltimore. Well, which I mean, they actually the kind of had to prove <laughs> themselves to him that they're all in by going out and making this deal for Damian Lillard. We said it at the time. If you trade for Lillard, you're locking yourself in as a contender that you're willing to pay what it takes yeah. to be able to get this done. They're going to be in the tax. So they've got Damian Lillard. They've got Giannis Antetokounmpo. The next three years, Milwaukee is going to be one of the staples of the NBA. And Giannis did it for That's three awesome. years. And if he's great for three years, you win two championships. Guess what? You get paid again. Worth every penny. Yeah. Those are my biggest takeaways. Um, Otherwise, I think Boston's really interesting because they change so much going into the season. Otherwise, like the West is really, really, really deep. I love Oklahoma City, and they might be like the 11th best team in the Western Conference going into the year. Talk to me in April. That's what I got. Well, that's the play. And talk to me in May. Yeah, I actually really don't care until they get to the conference finals. I mean, everybody makes the playoffs. You got a stupid in-season tournament this year. Yeah. Like, and then I can guarantee you're not going to see defense tonight. Like, of course not. It's regular season. 
314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, you get five championships to give out for your favorite teams for the rest of your life. How are you spreading them out? Who's getting those championships? So personally and professionally, this is an interesting question. What are you going to give it to Luca's future basketball high school championship Personally, team? I would like to give all of these to Mizzou and the Chiefs. Oh. Professionally, I would like the Blues and the Cardinals to continue having sustained success. So I'll give one to the Cardinals next year. That would be ideal for us. I'll give one to the Blues in like five years. I'll give another oh. one to the Cardinals in seven years. So that's three of them. Give one to Mizzou this year because, you know, come on, let's be real. And then I'll go ahead and give one to the Chiefs this year as well. They've already got two. Okay, so well, I don't care about the Chiefs. Give the Tigers one this year. Uh, I'll give the Blues one. I'll give the Cardinals one next year. So now I've divvied up two of them. And then I'll give Blues the next three. I'd like to see the Blues go on that, like, sustained. dynasty. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Like so I'll that. go Mizzou this year, Cardinals next year. And then the following year will be the first of three straight for the Blues. I love it. I would give, I mean, I think you guys are right. Given one of the Cardinals next year would be ideal. Um, I'd probably give, I'd probably give one more to the Cardinals. I'd give one to the Blues. I'd give one to the Rams. And then that fifth one, this may surprise you because I'm tired of the March. Rams. I'm, I'm, di- I'm t- no, I'm tired of March disappointments. <laughs> I would love to see Illinois win an NCAA title. That'd be awesome. That's something that I should have gone like, with. I should have gone with the football program. Yeah, right. Uh, but the basketball program, like, they've been good a lot. And every time we get to March, there's somebody where they just lay an egg. 314-399-9646 is the air cover service text line. Somebody said, why wouldn't you guys give City one for because their Because they're already winning it this year. That That is a fair point. I'll take one away from the Chiefs. I'll give it to City instead. I'm not taking any away from the Blues or the Cardinals. Sorry. Yeah, so no, you sorry, can just you gotta win it on your own terms. I'm not going to move it any of mine. All right. Uh, from the 314. Wow, that's trash. You're not taking it from the Rams and you're going to keep it? He no. didn't give one to the Rams. Guys, yes, he did. No, he didn't. We're going to pretend that. L.A. 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 What do you do if you're Penn State? James Franklin's a really good coach, clearly, but he's the third best coach in his own conference. Penn State is now one and nine against Ohio State and three and 16 against top 10 opponents since he came to Penn State. They've won at least nine games in five of the last six full seasons. They finished in the top 12 in each of those five years. What do you do? You're a top 12 program, but it feels like they're hitting a glass ceiling every year. I, I mean, I think you have to move on. I think you just keep running back. Oh, okay. That's where I am. I, because like... Well, you guys like the same thing over and over and the, over and no over. I don't think you're though, improving from James Franklin. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say is you can move on from James Franklin, but sometimes the grass isn't greener on the other side. And I think you've seen programs do this before where they go, we can do better. And then they have to go, no, no, we were wrong. We can't do better. So I would run it back. I think... I. The best thing for him is I think Harbaugh is going to probably leave Michigan soon. There seems to be some buzz that he's kind of fed up and with he's being in Michigan. Go to Penn State? No, no, he wants to. No, he's oh. going to leave Michigan altogether. Gotcha. There's buzz about him not having much interest in the college game anymore. Maybe he goes back to the NFL, and then it's just okay. Well, they're going to have to figure uh, out how to Cowboys make it better. coach next year. That's what's going to happen there. Ooh, I'm okay with that's that. That's kind of fun. I mean, let's be honest. That sounds exciting. That's and a it, Jerry Jones move in every sense. Yeah. And then all you got to do is you got to figure out how do you beat Ohio State. And that's not easy, but. Good luck. But I think it's possible. So I, I would say you just keep running it back with James Franklin. Hell, I would sign up for Brett Bielman to give me 10 wins every year. Even if that means he's going to get his butt kicked by Iowa and Wisconsin every year. That's a thing. It, Penn State has a lot more history than a place like Illinois. So yeah. we got to keep that in mind as well. 
and they've got a much better recruiting base than Illinois. And this is no shot against Illinois fans. Penn State has one of the most historic well, it feels like a fan on. bases as well. This is, I mean, Penn State is like a top 20 program in the country. We get, you just had to say that. You didn't have to just shove fair. Illinois down. <laughs> you know what, you know? fair. That's on me. No, nah, he's fine. I, I, I wouldn't move on from James Franklin because you could end up becoming the next Clemson where, like, okay, cool. You have Dabo Sweeney. Unfortunately, you, your program's done now. Like, you could end up becoming the te- next Texas A&M. You bring in Jimbo Fisher because he's going to be the one that saves everything, right? He's got all of this history of success. Well, now you're stuck with him and you're not succeeding at all. You go out and get Lincoln Riley. Well, can he build a program? Because he didn't really have to at Oklahoma. He just had everything ready-made for him. And then he continued to sustain that success with really good quarterback play. James Franklin is a program builder. He's got a really good program going right now. You consistently win 9, 10, 11 games every year. Just got to wait for your turn, man. It sucks. It's not fun while you're waiting, but that's the reality. All right, coming up next. Last night, we saw the downside, Alex. There's been a whole lot of upside to Aaron Nola in these playoffs. Last night, you saw the downside. Even that does not really concern me. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Pham sends one deep in the left field and that one's going to fly. Tommy Pham, welcome back to the lineup. That ball's hit well in the left field. That one is way back there. And Guriel goes deep. Back-to-back home runs for the Diamondbacks. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, that's what it sounded like last night on Turner Sports as Aaron Nola gives up multiple home runs in that game last night. Goes just four and a third for the Phillies. Ends up giving up four earned runs. And Alex, the real problem for him last night was the home runs. And that's been the problem for Aaron Nola this year. The only pitchers in Major League Baseball, qualified starters, that gave up a bigger home run rate this year than Aaron Nola, Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Jordan Lyles, J.P. Sears, and Patrick Corbin. Those were the only five. Here's the thing, though. Some of that's because of the ballpark that he plays in. Philadelphia is a very homer-friendly ballpark. Alex, he ended up giving up this season 34 home runs with the Philadelphia Phillies during the regular season. That's a lot. How many would he have given up if it was traveling all the same distance, all that stuff, if he was playing all of his home games here in St. Louis in your mind? 18. I'm saying 28. 34 in Philadelphia would have been 25 here in St. Louis. Completely changes the outlook for his season, to say the least. The reason why I bring this up. That was the downside of going out and signing Aaron Nola to a massive contract. He has a bit of a home run problem. I don't think it's quite as big of a problem if he's coming here to St. Louis. And even with that issue, man, so far in his postseason, he has a 2.3 ERA. Sign me up for that every day of the week. Yeah, I like I get that last night wasn't a gem by Aaron Nola. But if you're going to tell me that I get all the way to a championship series and in his second start in that championship series, he's going to give up four earned runs through four to third. I'm all aboard that train because that means the first CS I'm going to get Aaron Nola at his best. And then to get to the CS, he's going to be dominant in the DS. So like I'm fine with that being the worst of the worst. If Nola did that for three straight starts, I'd be a lot more concerned and saying, I don't know if you can sign this guy. But we're talking about October 23rd, and he just had a falter. He does have some fastball issues. That, that's what got hit yeah. hard last night, and this season, well, that was doesn't? his problem. You know? 
His fastball doesn't have a ton of velocity behind it. It plays pretty well off of his curveball. He's, he's good at the tunneling, which I'm sure you guys have heard John Smoltz talk about during this postseason. Uh, not really. He doesn't do that, but some of the other good analysts do. Felt like a shot. Uh, his four-seam fastball this year, opposing hitters had a 500 slugging percentage against it. That's It's not what you want. And if that doesn't get corrected, it is something that is a bit of a concern for me long term, because if you can't throw your fastball, as we saw this year without uh, Adam Wainwright, now all of your secondary stuff just becomes what they're sitting on. And they're just waiting for that curveball. That's been a really good pitch for him, even this year in a quote unquote down season. They're waiting for that. And now they're going to hit it pretty hard. So it is something that does concern me a bit. But I, I mean, the, the benefits far outweigh any of the potential concerns with Aaron Nola. Alex Tyler Kepner is one of the best writers in the country, in my mind, that covers baseball. He writes for the New York Times, or previously wrote for the Times. Now he's over at The Athletic. He was on the best podcast in baseball on Friday, talking with Derek Gould about NOLA, the Phillies, how they constructed a team that has had so much success in the postseason over the past few years. A lot of that conversation came back to Aaron NOLA. Here's what Tyler Kepner had to say about NOLA and whether or not he can be a legitimate number one starter if he were to be signed here in St. Louis to a big money contract. Well, he's not quite a number one. I mean, I, I think he's he's been a little inconsistent year to year um, and within those years. But what he does really well is he takes the ball all the time. I think he's the most starts in baseball since 2018 or 17. Yeah. Generally has a pretty low whip and um, and a lot of strikeouts. So, you know, teams can really work with that and, and teams like that. You know, you, you, you start to figure, well, maybe, you know, you give up a – a few home runs at inopportune times, but you know, um, I think there's a lot there to like. I think so too. He would still be my number one target. Last night changed nothing for me, man. Nothing. It's one start. It didn't go his way. He gave up a couple of home runs, but otherwise this postseason, in 23 innings, he's given up six earned runs. And most of those came off of a couple of home runs last night. Like I, I just am not all that worried about Aaron Nola. I think what we've seen over the long haul this is the guy that should still be the number one target for the Cardinals. Yeah, I would go after this guy mostly because he proved everything that people were skeptical about in the start of this postseason. One start doesn't change what he did to get to this point in terms of looking like a legit shutdown top of the rotation pitcher that BT has talked about on the fast lane of other teams saying, man, I got to go up against this guy. That's the start of a good offseason. I still believe you need something else. I still believe you'd probably like to find something that's got a lot more swing and miss than what Aranola provides. But I'm adding this as my primary target because not only did I struggle with swing and miss last year, I struggled from quality innings and quality starts. And I know Nola's going to give me at least 25 of those next year. So if you ended up going the Aranola route, There are some that will still say you want to get a number one because Zach Wheeler is the number one starter for the Phillies, right? And over the last two years, Zach Wheeler has a 3.6 ERA. He's, or excuse me, over the last couple of years, he's, he's been a guy that has like a 3.2 ERA. He's been amazing. Wheeler wasn't this guy though, when they signed him in Philadelphia. And this is something else that Tyler Kepner talked about on that podcast, the best podcast in baseball. He mentioned how the Phillies bet big on the upside of Wheeler, and he thinks that's something the Cardinals should should take as a lesson. That's that's a, a big key is you've, you've got to be able to identify guys who have something more, and whether that's a analytics thing or, or, or scouting thing, or, or that's critical, especially for a team like the Cardinals. You know, like because you're not going to go out and buy um, your whole rotation. Um, you're not going to spend in free agency the way that the Phillies do or, or, or some other teams got to be able to identify those, those uh, diamonds um, diamonds in the rough. I 
don't think these guys qualify as quote unquote diamonds in the rough, but I don't think Zach Wheeler really did either. Zach Wheeler, prior to coming over to Philadelphia and signing that five-year deal worth $125 million, had a 3.6 ERA, threw 377 innings, and it took 60 starts in the previous two seasons. Zach Wheeler was awesome, man. He had a 3.3 FIP. He was getting a little bit unlucky with some of his results, but overall was like a really solid number two starter for the New York Mets in that stretch. The Phillies just bet that he was going to stay healthy. They knew that he could throw 96, 97 miles an hour. He's got crazy strikeout stuff. If this guy stays healthy, he's going to be a potential ace long term. So who are those guys that the Cardinals could target? Alex, I think there are two in particular that immediately jump off the page. And both, unfortunately, are not guys that you can sign via free agency. They're guys you would have to trade for. One is Tyler Glass now. There was a piece yesterday in the Tampa Bay Times that said, hey, the Rays are probably going to have to trade Tyler Glass now this offseason. They're going to have to cut payroll somewhere. Glass now is about to make $25 million. This is the exact kind of move that the Rays typically make. The beat writer said the expectation for him going into the offseason, Glass now is going to be dealt somewhere. Tyler Glass now over the last two years has a strikeout rate of 12Ks per nine. He's awesome. He unfortunately just can't stay healthy. He's never thrown more than 120 innings in any individual season in his career. So that's one guy that I would throw into this list. The other guy that I would throw into the list is the one that we've talked a lot about, and that's Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease, every underlying metric looks exactly like Zach Wheeler prior to him getting to Philadelphia. He just plays on a crap team in a crap ballpark with terrible circumstances. Last year, he was amazing. This year, everything went to crap for him. So I think those are the two for me that if you're looking for your Zach Wheeler and you want to add it on top of what you're getting with Aaron Nola so you can have what Philadelphia does right now, a legit number one and an unbelievable number two, I think those are the two guys that you should be targeting. It's either Dylan Cease, going to take a lot, or Tyler Glass now because of the money, because only one year of control, probably have to give up less for him. I I love the Tyler Glass now idea. The problem is you have to also make another move to plan on him not being available majority of that season. And that's the part that concerns me about the Cardinals because that third move, if you're trading this and you're signing Aaron Nola, is going to be something very low level. And that screams when Glass now gets injured, Michaelis moves up to your number two, and we're trying to force a Stephen Matz into your number three. So the Dylan Cease or T-Bone, I know, brought up Lucas Giolito in the office. Those are the other two options. The problem is the cost. Now, you could probably get Giolito. He's a free agent, right? Yeah. You're signing him for cheap, but, I mean, you're taking a massive risk. bucks probably is what those kinds of guys typically get. The problem with Dylan Cease is we're still talking a significant yep. trade that is going to impact your offense. And I've been the one that said, like, hey, I'm good with it if you know what you're getting. But the whole issue with this conversation is the Cardinals have very little success in terms of identifying those diamonds in the rough. How would you feel about an offseason, T-Bone? I want your thoughts on this as well. That included Tyler Glass now, Aaron Nola, and like Edward Cabrera or Brian Wu, one of those back-end young starters with some upside still potentially there for you. I, my assumption is you've probably given up too much. And what I mean by that is like you've probably got to give up somebody that's decent of cost control to get the Cabrera or get the Wu. Probably not have to give up a ton for Glass now, but I think like if those are the three pitchers you get, depending on what I know went the other way, I would say that's probably a good start to your offseason. To Alex's point, though, like if you're going to go get a Glass now, because we've talked about this rotation and what what you're going to do, I think Thompson's best suited to be your six. So you sign somebody or you trade like in this scenario for Brian Wu. I think you have to tender Hudson a contract then, because then he's viewed as your seven. And the, the reason I say that is because I think you have to plan on Glass now missing probably 10 to 15 starts. Got to plan on Matt's missing 10 to 15 starts. And that's where that depth really comes into 
to the focus point for the Cardinals of, okay, so how do we fill that? Does Zach Thompson then slide up and take some starts? And then you got Hudson that slides up and takes some starts. What do we really believe in McGreevy? You never saw him at the major league level be a lot to say, like, hey, let's plan on McGreevy being a part of this. Same with Graceffo. Or maybe they're going back in one of those deals. Like, I, I think if you're going after Glass now, you have to tender Dakota Hudson a contract. And there's the other problem, too, is you're, you're planning on Glass now not being available. I'm going into next season planning on Steven Matz to miss a quarter of the season. And now that's two guys that I'm forcing Miles Michael, Zach Thompson, and Dakota Hudson into roles that I'm not sure I feel most comfortable with. And you got to plan the other way. They got to find a way to get to 162 starts next year. That's that's the goal, right? You start with the big number and then you work your way backwards. I think you can expect 30 out of Michaelis. I think you can expect 30 out of Nola. So now we're let's say down to 100. 100 starts that you have to be able to fill after you have those guys as a part of your rotation. I think you can count on 15. From Steven Matz. I think that's what you should be expecting going into the season. I think you could count on like 15 from Thompson. Now you're at 30. So you've got 70 starts that remain. If you trade for Tyler Glass now, I think you're talking about 20 starts from him. Now you're down to 50 starts. And the question is, okay, we have now named five different guys that are going to start for you. And I've still got 50 starts remaining for. And I don't know if you're getting 10 starts each. Can a guy like TK Roby make that next step? Can somebody like Gordon Graceffo take that next step? Can Michael McGreevy take that next step? Who are the other guys that you can trust to give you those starts if you end up needing them to? That's really the question for the Cardinals that they would have to then answer. And we've also not talked yet about Brian Wu or Edward Cabrera, who could potentially give you 20 of those. I think this is something that could end up working for him. Money-wise, I think it would work. Talent-wise, giving it away, it requires less of you than if you were to go up and get a Dylan Cease, for example. It is risky, though, because Tyler Glass now is a guy that you might get 20 starts out of him. You might get five. And if you get the five starts out of him, do you have the depth to be able to make up for it? I don't know. That's something that the Cardinals would have to decide. Coming up next, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. News, notes, and nuggets. It's time for the Rutherford Report with our Blues Insider, Jeremy Rutherford. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Time to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues Insider for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. He had a great piece earlier today that we'll get to here in just a little bit on Doug Armstrong, who is who is going to be a part of his 1,000th game tonight as a manager in the NHL. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Good, BK. Alex Tanner, how you guys doing? Doing really well. So, Jay, let's start with the newsy side of things, then we'll kind of get to the analysis here in just a little bit. It sounds like it's going to be Bennington and Net. We all kind of knew that was going to happen, but it does sound like there's a chance that we are going to end up seeing Pavel Buchnevich in this game tonight. Do you think that he will go back with that top line, or do you think they're going to stick with Brandon Saad with Thomas and Cairo if Buch is able to play? Yeah, first on Buchnevich, uh, I saw him in the locker room yesterday after practice and, and asked him to uh, chat for a moment, and uh, he said he didn't know if he was going to play, so he kind of wanted to wait on that. But it looks like uh, today he did skate at the morning skate in Winnipeg, and uh, Matt DeFranks, who's uh, with the Post-Dispatch, is there and said that uh, Craig Bruby just called him a game-time decision, so we'll see. Uh, in terms of him being ready to play, guys, 
I watched that contact, quote-unquote, contact yesterday that happened with Buchnevich, and, I mean, it was like me, you, and Alex going on a pub crawl and just kind of goofing around with each other and kind of leaning into each other as you walk into the next bar. And There wasn't a lot of contact yesterday, so, you know, I realize it's an upper body injury, kind of like a shoulder uh, collarbone type thing, and we'll see if he can uh, make it through if he is able to play. As far as what line do they put him on, I think Craig Ruby's got no choice but to put him on the second line. They've got to keep that line together with Brandon Saad, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo. Not necessarily because they're producing in great number, but because I think there's some chemistry there. I think Saad looks electric. He looked great in that Pittsburgh game. And I think also a lot of people worried about the scoring going into the season. Was it spread out enough? Could you put Buchnevich on that second line? I think tonight maybe he gets that chance with Shen and Kapanen, and we'll see what happens from there. Jared, does that say more about the chemistry that Barubi is searching for with Thomas and Kairou if Saad looks good in one game and they stick there? Or does that say more about how they want that secondary secondary scoring and if one line is clicking so well, they can put Booch down and get more offense? Probably a little bit of both, Alex. You know, good question. I think what happens in hockey, it seems like every year as you go into a season with one idea and you never know what the reasoning is going to be that kind of changes things. And I think, you know, with the injury to Buchnevich, obviously that changed what the Blues had to do. And they put Saad up there. And, you know, Saad on his best nights when he's skating hard and driving to the net, he can have that type of game. Maybe not five or six grade-A scoring chances like he had the other night. But I think that also provides some stability for Kyra and Thomas. Not that Buchnevich can't provide it, but I think Saad has shown us in the past couple games that he can do that. But, you know, secondarily, I think your other point, is valid is it does provide some potential uh, secondary scoring, which the Blues have not been getting. It's been, uh, with the exception of that Pittsburgh game, a pretty glaring area. This decision also has a trickle-down effect to the power play unit. It looked yesterday as if Brandon Saad was going to be on that top unit, and I, I would assume this means that when Booch comes back, he'll he'll be a part of the second group. JR, what have you seen from the power play over the last couple of games? More chances, still no goals. Is Is it starting to come around in your mind? Yeah, I think so. You know, sometimes uh, you regret a tweet a little bit. I think the other night that goal by Malkin, you just kind of slump your shoulders if you're a Blues fan and say how much more, uh, you know, can the power play sink? And and I think if you kind of step back big picture, that was a productive uh, power play. You know, I said it was kind of rock bottom when Malkin scores there. But, you know, they did have some chances. And I think if the power play is as bad as it's been and you're you're starting to get scoring chances, that's probably – a positive. It just, I think, uh, watching that game to see Malkin come out of the box and score on a on a, on a situation where the Blues kind of flubbed the, flubbed the puck uh, was tough to see. But I think what we're seeing, BK, a little bit more is, yeah, some urgency. I think some uh, deliberate plays. I think some passing, some aggressiveness. Uh, but for me, it's still a little bit too much on the outside. I mean, it can look swell and great, and you're moving the puck and you're zipping passes from down low up high, you know, D to D. Uh, I just don't think that there's enough going to the net right now. And I think this power play isn't going to be successful until we see that. Do they consider getting Perunovic back in the lineup? I, it doesn't sound like tonight, but at some point this upcoming week. Yeah, it doesn't look like tonight. I think at some point, they, you know, they've got to get him in there, um, you know, just for the sake of he's got to play some games. I know they're you know more concerned right now with liking who they like in that defensive rotation. And I ask uh, Craig Bruby, that question, that specific question a couple days ago, and he said, look, right now, Scandella and Tucker are our guys. 
He felt that Scandella's best game, I, I think, was uh, just a couple games ago. And, and also he likes where Tucker's at, and he likes that physicality that Tucker brings. You know, I think a lot of us speculated, uh, Alex, maybe can you put Prinovich in there, put him in the power play, give it some sort of life. It looks like, for now, that they're not going to get Prinovich in there until they're completely uh, satisfied with where his uh, defensive game is it. But, you know, it's the old catch-22. How can he get better at it? unless he gets in some game action. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at The Athletic. And if you do so, you'll find his piece from earlier today on Doug Armstrong, who is going to eclipse 1,000 games in the Blues general manager chair. Uh, JR, what did you learn when talking to Army, talking to other people around the league about Army in your conversations about what he's meant to this organization in his 1,000 games here in St. Louis? Yeah, because I think that we all know that the respect level around the league is there. But to me, you know, it's pretty incredible that, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like yesterday he got hired, but it doesn't seem like that long ago. And now we're talking the longest tenured general manager in the hockey league, in the National Hockey League. And I know that it's kind of fleeting, you know, guys come and go. Uh, you look at the, the stats that I had in, in the story since Doug Armstrong came aboard in 2010, there's teams around the league that have had five different general managers, Vancouver, Toronto, a couple others, you know, many others that had four general managers in that span. So I think that's first and foremost. Uh, but what, what also kind of caught my attention talking to Doug Armstrong for about 15 minutes before that Pittsburgh game the other night is just the, 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 the helpfulness that GMs are and provide for each other. Uh, they're competitive, yes, and they want to win. But this is a fraternity, and Doug said that when you go into those meetings uh, early on when you're a younger general manager, it's kind of intimidating. And now that he's more of an elder statesman, he's there to help some of those younger guys and, and, and be, uh, be there for them if need be. And he also did give me a little nugget. He said that uh, you know if a GM around the league gets fired, I said, do you call him, Doug, and, and kind of wish him well? And he said, yeah, but I learned something several years ago. Call him twice. Call him, tell him, hey, feel for you, bud. Uh, you did a great job. Sorry to see the news. And then seven or ten days later, when the phone calls stopped coming for that person, you know, give them another buzz and, and kind of be there and be supportive. So he knows the drill. He was fired in Dallas. He went through it. And so I think to hear Doug say that uh, he tries to do that as much as he can was uh, was pretty supportive of that fraternity. Jared, do you think that his, his long-term stay with the Blues and the respect that he has around the league, does that benefit him when you're trying to go through this quick retool that he's discussed yeah, I think so. You know, I think we always joke that uh, when he calls you and he's trying to make a trade, hang up because he's won more <laughs> trades than he's lost uh, for sure. But I think that, uh, you know, in doing several pieces, including a big package on Doug Armstrong this past summer, the one thing that I get from talking to other general managers is and, and agents also is that uh, everything's black and white with Doug. So if, if he's calling you and, and he wants to try to improve his team, he's he's also thinking about why it would make sense for you to the other general manager. And, and so I think you ask, you know, does it benefit uh, the blues to have that kind of experience with, with Doug? I think it does because, you know, he can kind of do his homework, do his due diligence, have his staff, look at guys, identify where he wants to go and who he wants to get, and who's going to help him improve it and then make those phone calls and they're quick phone calls. You know, I, this is what I see. I think it helps you. I think it helps me. Do you want to do this? And if it doesn't match up, then, then you move on. But you know, there's not a lot of beating around the bush with him from the people I talk to straight to the point. I think that's helped him in his career. 
JR, appreciate the time as always, man. People can go find that story that you had. There's some great nuggets in there on uh, Doug Armstrong over at The Athletic. You can also find the link if you'd uh, prefer on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Appreciate the time as always. Great work on that story. We'll talk with you again next week, my friend. Thanks, boys. Thanks. You got it. This is Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic, joining us as he does each and every Tuesday here on BK and Ferrario. Alex, when you think about what it meant for Doug Armstrong to get to this 1,000 games in the the Blues GM chair here in St. Louis, I think the biggest thing that I took away uh, from JR's piece is is what he said there at the end with, man, can can you believe that he is the longest tenured general manager in the league now? Like, he has in this piece the the number of teams and how many general managers they have had since 2010. Just to pull out a few, like, and these are some successful organizations in this stretch. The Toronto Maple Leafs have had five general managers since 2010. The Calgary Flames, five. Philadelphia, four. The New York Rangers, three. The Minnesota Wild, three. Colorado Avalanche, three. Tampa Bay Lightning have had multiple. Vegas, who's been around for like five years, have had multiple general managers. Meanwhile, with the Blues, it's been one guy that's been in charge this entire time. That's remarkable stability here. Well, and it's not just one guy in charge. It's one guy in charge who has maintained like a 658 winning percentage in the regular season, where some of these guys, like, yeah, you've gone through maybe two of them. Like, I, I know the one he reference was David Poyle who just stepped down with Nashville but look at the winning percentage that he had as a general manager compared to the winning percentage that Doug Armstrong has had as a general manager so it's one thing to to stay in the same spot it's another thing to stay in the same spot and always be competitive and I think that's why Blues fans are so infuriated with kind of where they're at right now because this retool it's not common for this Blues team but look when you got this guy in charge and that's why I asked JR that question like when you got to respect the general manager around National Hockey League, when you make a call, teams are answering no matter what. And then you just have to wait to find out if you can pull the trigger on that trade. But yeah, the, the success that he has had does not go unnoticed. And that's why I feel like the Blues are in a really good position to be moving forward. Blues back in action tonight. Blues versus Jets pregame starting at 645 right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. By the way, a little bit of news in Major League Baseball. It has been announced according to The Athletic. The Giants are expected to announce Bob Melvin as their next manager. This has been something that has been long speculated and, I mean, close to reported at this point. Uh, Bob Melvin going to be the next manager of Giants. Previously, of course, with the Oakland Athletics, so he is from that area or familiar with the area. Spent the last couple of years with the San Diego Padres. That did not go according to plan for anybody involved. This opens up the opportunity for Mike Schultz to be able to get that job in San Diego. It's going to be interesting, man. The Giants, I think this is a really good hire for them. I've said all along, I I think Bob Melvin is a great manager. And if he can't have success out in San Diego, it makes me wonder if anybody really can. I guess maybe Mike Schultz is the guy, but I don't know, man. That's a that's a tough job. Well, it's first a really of all, tough job. it's not your job to figure out if he can handle it or not. <laughs> and second of all, I'm really looking forward to the – That was the, really uh, well done. I'm really looking forward to the Padres-Cardinals series when Schultz is the manager because I would like to request you to go into their press conference following the game. I will. Oh, yeah. yeah, we do have access to the visitor clubhouse. Yeah. You should well, go you do, there. specifically. Well, yeah. I uh, I know that it's in it's typically in like the little office of the manager. It's not like an actual press conference setting. So man, what uncomfortable moment would it be with BK <laughs> you, locked in a, a room with Mike Schilt? He'd go. I wish we could do it on Zoom just for good old times' sake. Yeah, no, he'll he'll <laughs> mute you. Make sure you raise your hand before you ask late. the question. Yeah, yeah, late. Anybody else got anything, Brandon? <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. What, what jerk is about to end the Zoom and then he just asks one question like that? Unbelievable. Fair question. It did not go well. Apparently somebody did that the other day. Who was the... What was the interview or somebody at the very end had another question? I oh, can't. it happened at Ruby's press room. That's what it was. Yeah. But he didn't get upset. Okay. Well, Ruby never gets upset. Yeah. <laughs> Probably because yeah, sure. the question was actually well thought. It was. It was. Fair. Man, why did you decide to go with that pitcher? Luis Garcia. Yeah. Who went to, who, hey, he's in San Diego. <laughs> he is a Padre. <laughs> Maybe he was a Schilt guy. <laughs> Apparently. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, speaking of managers, Yadier Molina. <laughs> Sure sounds like he's going to be on the bench for the Cardinals next year. What's the upside of this? And can we talk about the downside? Is that allowed? We'll do it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's my personal opinion. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. What I mean is I think Yadier Molina is going to be the next bench coach here in St. Louis. Oh, I could have told you that one was for sure happening. So he was interviewed yesterday with a uh, an outlet down in Puerto Rico. And this has been translated from Spanish to English. So some of that I want to make that clear because some of it can potentially be lost in translation a bit. But I think the theme pretty much comes through in this uh, conversation. Yadier Molina was asked about his future as a coach in Major League Baseball. Here's what he had to say, Alex. Quote, there is something cooking. Mm. I've had various offers in the United States over the last year with both Miami and in St. Louis. This year I have offers as well. I think there's something cooking with St. Louis. There is a 90% chance that it happens. They are uh, There are decisions that someone must make in their future. I see myself managing, coaching in the United States for a few years. I like it. I'm a guy that's fascinated with baseball. I'm passionate about it. To have an opportunity like that, I cannot pass it up. He was then, con- uh, he was then asked about coaching specifically with the Cardinals. He said, and I quote, St. Louis has given me the opportunity. It's my second home. There's always a good relationship and communication with them. They are trying to guide me to that way, to the matter of being a coach. They have their staff who have done a good job with this team. It would be an opportunity that would be hard to say no to. I love St. Louis. I love baseball. And St. Louis has the best baseball in the world. I would like to be in St. Louis, end quote. It's not a whole lot to be left for translation there. Yadier Molina is essentially saying, yeah, we got to work out some of the details and the playoffs are still taking place right now, so they can't announce anything. But hey, see you soon. Yeah. My guess is, if I, again, purely a guess, speculation by me, I would bet sometime tomorrow we probably have some kind of an announcement. Today is the last day of the CS. Tomorrow is an off day for everything. There is nothing going on with the World Series yet. So it is a day that Major League Baseball typically says, hey, if you've got anything to announce, announce it tomorrow. I think the Giants are going to announce tomorrow that uh, Bob Melvin is going to be their next manager. I wouldn't be surprised if the Padres announced at the same time that Mike Schilt is going to be their next manager. Dueling press conference? And I think the Cardinals will also announce that Yadier Molina is going to be their next bench coach. How do you feel about that, Alex? Uh, I... I'm impartial. Like, I don't know how to feel because the flip one side of it, I look at this and say, this is a great move by the Cardinals. You're bringing in somebody who has respect among everybody in that clubhouse, veterans, rookies. So when he speaks, they're going to listen. And this was kind of the role he had that last season before he retired. And I I think that's a benefit for a team that really is stuck in between right now of figuring out who they are. Now you can start to have a little bit more of an identity with a guy who has been there, done that on the flip side of this. I hope 
Ali understands what is at stake. And what I mean by that is if you're the Cardinals and you're bringing Yadier Molina in as a bench coach, there's only one direction that this goes. And it's Yadier Molina as the manager of the Cardinals at some point. I don't know if it's going to be in one year. I don't know if it's going to be in two years or five years. But it's going to go that direction. Because if you're the Cardinals, you cannot... Let me rephrase that. If if you're Bill DeWitt, you cannot fathom the idea of Yadier Molina being the manager on another team and having success. I So, first of all, I, I really don't know how to... I, I'm excited for the hire because I want to see him work with Contreras. I mean, like this... Uh, as much as he's being brought in probably as the bench coach, his number one job is to get Contreras, A, game planning better, uh, framing better, blocking better, and I can't think of a better guy to name to come in and work with Wills Contreras on that than arguably one of the best defensive catchers in baseball's history in Yadier Molina. So that part I'm excited about. I am curious to know what this looks like, though, and we'll, we'll probably never know what this looks like, but I am curious to know, because you're to your point on bringing him in, the fan base is going to want him to take Oliver Marmol's job. And that's what is so fascinating about this hire for me is, yeah, kudos to Ali Marmol for bringing, doing what is necessary to bring in the proper leadership. I mean, he essentially did this with Schumacher. Yep. I mean, he tried to do it last year with I, Matt Holliday. I, I, yeah, I know he had a three-year deal when he was signed on as manager. Our fan base wanted a guy with experience. Like the, the fan base wanted someone that had experience. That's why yeah, they were so, so upset. Hire all hire hire Yadier Molina as the manager. That so much experience. Well, he's been a he's been a manager for but his entire career. Experience in major leagues. I, I'm with you. I'm sorry. I, I, this isn't Seriously, about you. Check your damn tone, man. I just I, the what same people that, that text in about how the Cardinals need to hire like Bruce Bochy are now like, oh Yadi, Yadi should be the man. Well, he doesn't like that damn analytics. <laughs> I just don't understand. Sorry, that will Go be ahead. the thing with him. He I goes good. To your point though, when you mentioned the analytics, there I am fascinated to know what he what he works with, not just with Oliver Marmol, but with the pitching coach and Dusty Blake. Because when I think of all, when I excuse me, when I think of Yadi or Molina, not only do I think of a great defense catcher i think of a, a guy that clearly this pitching staff missed last year a guy that could work with guys that was essentially like another pitching coach but i also think of him as kind of and maybe i shouldn't and this is maybe my own fault i think of him as almost kind of old school not looking at the numbers and when i think of dusty i think more of not so much as the role as a in-game adjuster when as a pitching coach but as the guy that is able to look at pitch shaping and what goes on behind the scenes that's not in-game adjustments and that is one thing that I'll be interested to see how those two kind of work together it, it is a fascinating hire by the St. Louis Cardinals and you don't move on from that era of baseball remember when we talked about what Adam Wainwright's retirement of now this club clubhouse takes a new shape can form a new identity and the players can still do that but they never have moved on from the Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, Adam Wainwright era. It just continues, but with someone as a coach rather than as a player. I find that to be kind of interesting, too. Uh, from the 314, I find this to be a good text. Guys, Ollie Marmol is in a no-win situation. If he starts winning next season with Yadier Molina as his bench coach, people are just going to say, well, of course he won. Yadier Molina was back. If he continues losing, then the fan base will say, ah, bad spot. Now we want Yadier Molina to take over because clearly Ollie Marmol can't get the job done. Yep. That's correct. Yep. There's a lot of truth to that. And this is why I find it to be a compelling situation. Man, those guys have to be aligned. They have to be aligned. And I think that they will be. But if there is infighting, as there clearly has been in San Diego, and you hear about this with other organizations, it's very rarely the case here in St. Louis where you hear that there is stuff that is not organizationally aligned. It was the case with Mike Schilt. Clearly. That's why he was fired. But... 
for the most part, you see guys that are going, it's kumbaya, right? They all are trying to push towards the same direction. Ollie had that with Skip Schumacher. Those two were super tight. If you heard our conversation that we did with Skip Schumacher earlier this year, I think you can feel that. When he's talking about Ollie Marmel, he genuinely believes in him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come here. He believed that Ollie and this organization was the best thing for him to be able to get the job that he now has. He wanted to be a manager. He thought he could get that based on what he was able to do here. You hear any of his other interviews that he's done. He talks about, hey, the way that things are done in St. Louis, that's how I want to do things down in Miami. I don't want to take what I did in San Diego. I want to use my experience in in, uh, St. Louis. Is that going to be the case with Yachty and with Ollie? I, I genuinely don't know. And I also wonder, this is just something that I'm I'm thinking out loud because I do think that we talk a lot about the positives, and there are a lot of them about Yadier Molina taking over as the bench coach. He's going to be helpful for your pitching staff. There's no doubt about that. I think he's going to be a great voice to have next to Ollie Marmol where it's just in-game decision-making. There's not a dude that I trust more with that stuff than Yadier Molina, really, in the last 20 years of Major League Baseball. That guy's a baseball savant in every sense of the word. Is he ready for this kind of time commitment? Because it's a lot. Somebody on the text line said, guys, I'm not sure that he's going to want to be a manager because the time commitment might be better for him as a bench coach. Guys, the time commitment is not all that dissimilar. As a bench coach, you got to do, you're in charge of spring the training. O- the only difference is you just don't speak to the media. Yeah, that's it. And that's what Ali has told us at the ballpark before. 100%. So as a bench coach, there's a ton of travel. You're going to be on the road all the time. It, baseball season starts basically in February. It ends hopefully late October for you, you get like three months off all year long and then you're right back at it. And even when you're off, man, you're still grinding. You got other stuff that you're doing. You're sending out workouts to guys. You're getting clips from them. You're giving them feedback. Like this thing never ends. We saw in his last year in St. Louis that it didn't really feel like he was fully committed to playing baseball that year. Now, some of that was the injuries. I'm not trying to take that away from him. The dude is tough as nails, but I think there were, it was fair to question, like, man, does he want to do this anymore? Does he want to be a part of the time commitment that is Major League Baseball's 162-game season? I don't blame him if he's not. That ended up being the determining factor for Matt Holiday last year. I don't blame anybody who doesn't want to be a part of that grind. But is he really ready for that right now? That is a question that I think remains open-ended, and I don't think we can get that answer until we're actually in it next year. And even then, I don't know that we'll have the answer until after the season and when we find out whether or not he's coming back the following season. So that is something that I will be looking forward to is finding out, okay, is he really ready for this now at this point in his life this quickly after he decided to retire from Major League Baseball? I don't know how you can know. Yeah, I tinfoil for you. Uh, That last season for Yachty or Molina, I I wonder if Yachty even wanted to be back. I wonder if that was more of a Cardinals wanting him back than Yachty wanting to be back for what they were chasing. But distance makes the heart grow fonder. And when you get him away from baseball, and I think he was just in Puerto Rico pretty much this past season, did not come back to the United States. Yeah. And I really wonder if that's why he's so excited to get back into baseball when you were away from it when you've been involved with it for what 20 plus years and now you're back to it that builds the excitement up and somebody texted it and said us acting as he's going to be the next manager is this lazy pessimistic viewing I don't view that as the case I if you're the Cardinals and Yadier Molina is coming back into this one you're trying to win now and you know he's the best opportunity to do that in multiple areas pitching and catching wise 
but you're the Cardinals. You also kind of understand what's in front of you with a Hall of Famer who could be in a position to lead this team. I I, I'm, I would add this. Ollie knows this. Yeah. Ollie knows what the yeah, talk you're not, is going to be. You're not bringing him in unless you understand what the yeah. repercussions are. He knows that the moment that he's hired everybody in St. Louis, not everybody, a lot of this fan base is going to want Yachty to be the manager instead of him. He knows that. He knows that a lot of people wanted Skip Schumacher to be the manager over him. He probably knows that last year when he hired Matt Holiday, a lot of people were going to wait for um, Ollie to screw up so that way Matt Holiday could be the manager. Like, He's made three consecutive hires in this regard of a guy that's going to be more popular the moment that they put on that jersey than he is. And there's no way to get around that. This, though, is a little different. Hiring Matt Holiday, like, Matt Holiday is beloved in this community. Don't get me wrong. Hiring Skip Schumacher, beloved in this community. Hiring Yadier Molina, a future, I believe, first ballot Hall of Famer who is among the most respected baseball people to ever come through that organization— that takes on a different level of, in this fan base, appreciation, respect, and belief that that guy should have that job. So, I, I don't know, man. I, I I think it's a really smart hire by Ollie Marmel, I, and I think that he knows what he's taking on here, but there is a lot of risk for him if this thing goes sideways at all. T-Bone? I, I was going to say, too, and I was thinking out loud, I, if you're the Cardinals organization, do you – because. This this wouldn't be as much of a conversation if Oliver Marmol was not a lame duck manager. And what I mean by that is his deal, if he had another year on his deal, I'm not sure how much you're talking about, well, Yachty comes in, and clearly he's the guy that's going to replace you Oliver sure? Marmol. You'd be talking about it as just two years from now rather yeah. than one. I, I don't know that Maybe. I agree with that. I was going to say, I wonder if, if you have a conversation of doing adding a year or two to his deal. And I know fans don't want to hear that because he had <laughs> a bad year. But that was, let's be honest, uh, that was not a managerial thing. That was Agreed. a front office issue of putting a terrible roster in front of him. I, I, I think it's just an interesting conversation because I because I think part of the reason, though, a lot of fans were Skip was more popular than Oliver Marmol. It wasn't as much as like, hey, early on, failure, he's out because he had a three-year deal. He was in the beginning of a three-year deal. And look, teams can change their mind quickly, as we've seen across sports. But I, I think it is something that is interesting. I think it has more fuel to the fire because he is a free – I mean, Ollie is a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, At least as of right now, I – Somebody on the text line said, guys, this is a toothpaste scenario. You can't put it back in once you end up put, getting it out. I will place a bet that Yadi will be the manager in 2025. I won't. I, I, I think that this team really believes that Ali Marmol is a good manager. And I think part of why they're willing to make this kind of a hire is because they view Ali as a good enough leader that he's not going to lose as a clubhouse where there's going to be infighting on who they should actually listen to. I believe that. That being said, I don't think the fan base will. Like, I can believe whatever I want to. I don't speak for the Cardinals fan base. Cardinals fans, I think at least a majority of them will feel a very different way than what some of us here on this show do or what anybody else that believes in Ollie does. Unfortunately for Ollie, and I don't agree with this, but unfortunately for him, this is a lose-lose situation. This team wins, it's going to be because of Yadier Molina. And if this team loses, it's going to be because of Ali Marmol and Yadi needs to be the manager. And in this way, it's a selfless hire. And yep. What I mean by that is... He is saying, okay, I understand. I'm going to get none of the credit if we end up making this hire, but I believe Yadier Molina makes our team better. And if you're Ollie Marmel, your job is to get the best people in place to help your organization win. And if that means that you get none of the credit for the winning, so be it, man. 20 years from now, if they win a World Series next year and it's because Yadier Molina is the bench coach, Hey, guess who was the manager of the 2024 St. Louis Cardinals that won the World Series? It will forever be written in pen. That man was all over Marmel. It was not Yadier Molina. So whether we like it or not, 
He's viewing this as, I want to make the team better, and Yadier Molina makes the team better. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Mike Liute, former Blues goalie, newest member of the Blues Hall of Fame. We're going to talk to him about that induction, what it means to him, and what he's seeing from his client right now and Jordan Bennington, who's playing really well so far for the Blues. Mike Liute next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Brandon Kylie and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, your home of the Blues. And last week, the Blues announced their next class of their Blues Hall of Fame going in with last year's inaugural class. Uh, it was Pavel Dimitra, it was Keith Kachuk, and the man who is joining us right now on our 101 celebrity line, former goaltender for the St. Louis Blues, Mike Liute. Mike, it is great to catch up with you, sir. Congratulations on uh, finding out that you're headed into the blues hall of fame thank you alex it's um it's quite an honor of course it's always an honor to be recognized uh i'm glad it's it, you know i'm certainly honored and i'm glad it happened i'm certainly glad it happened Not posthumously uh, awarded but uh you know the, the blues had have such a great franchise that um i think this is long overdue for for all the players that have played there you know, had such an impact in the National Hockey League. Mike, uh, with the the night that you were announced, along with Keith Kachuk and Pavel Dimitra, my dad, who uh, grew up a Blues fan, watched him from 1967, he texted me, and he said, one of my favorite Blues of all time, and he said those uh, early 1980 seasons were dominant because of Federko, Sutter, and because of Mike Liute in between the pipes. That was, uh, that was his favorite era of hockey, and I would imagine being the start of your NHL career has to to be one of your favorites as well oh certainly you know when i was drafted by st louis and and that's that's your team that's always your team um we all know that very few start and finish with the same team but there's something special it's um you know it's what you you grow up you know dreaming about your hockey player you want to play in the national hockey league the first step it's not definitive but the first step is getting drafted in most cases um and for me, it was St. Louis. And then when I graduated from Bowling Green, you know, uh, St. Louis just wasn't there. The Solomon family had uh, folded the franchise. And, and uh, so I signed in, in the WHA for that reason, probably likely only that reason. Um, but it, uh, as things do in life, they, they tend to work out. And uh, I was, uh, it was a thrill to, to join the NHL, of course, and to you know, play your first game and, all of those, um, um, uh, you know, experiences, uh, you know, that go into to go into your career, and particularly at the beginning. We're talking to Mike Leute here on 101 ESPN. Mike, when you think about your career here in St. Louis, and I, I mean, you think about either the players that you played with, future Hall of Famers in that regard, some of the coaches that you played under here as well, uh, with both Barkley, Barkley Plager being a, a, at the top of the helm or Red Berenson being here as well. What are some of your favorite memories from that time, whether it was on or off the ice? What are some of your favorite memories from your time here in St. Louis? Well, you know, eighty eighty one was a big year, but it was a big year for all of us. And we had, um, uh, you know, we, we got pretty close to the sun. You know, we finished second uh, in the league. We lost the Islanders uh, on a late goal late in the season. 
And, uh, you know, everybody that year seemed to have their best season, right? I mean, there was, uh, we would step on the ice and we just expected to win. And, and that was moving from the year before we finished very strongly. And, um, you know, and part of winning is losing and, and you have to learn how to overcome that. You have to improve a little bit more. Uh, you know, you bring in some people from outside, you, you grow organically. And, you know, part of your great experiences are the things that aren't so good. And, and you know, and getting traded, I thought we were, we were on the way back. You know, we, we got pretty one, we kind of paled a little bit. And, and then to get traded was, was pretty tough, right? I mean, that was uh, not something that you're, you, you think is going to happen or when it happens. You know, it's difficult, but, you know, it, it brings out the best in people. And, you know, just prior to that, I ran into Red Barents, and he was at the University of Michigan at that point, and, you know, he, he stopped by and sought me out. And, um, you know, he said, hey, you're going to get traded and you got to get yourself back to where you were. And, and, you know, you're not there right now. And as athletes, you always think that you're playing better than you are sometimes. And, and that was, a you know, that was, you know, something that he did, you know, um, you know, for whatever reason, you know, he was he's in my best interests. And, and even after I got traded, we played St. Louis. Uh, shortly after that and and Barkley held the bus up because he wanted to see me after the game and you know he grabbed me and he just said you know he just went into this litany about you know this is not a great situation but you're playing for Emil Francis you know he's going to make it better and you got to make it better he's giving me this pep talk and and you know that's another thing that you know that you remember I mean there were just so many great people that come into your life and and those are two moments there where, you know, I didn't realize that I was sliding out of St. Louis and, and Red was there with, with that sort of, you know, wake up, if you will. And then Barkley is right behind him with this, you know, you, you know, and you just had people. I mean, that's the community of hockey. You know, they look out for each other and, and um, uh, those are the memories that you, you know, that you, you take uh, to your grave. Uh, we're talking with uh, former Blues goaltender Mike Liute, who is going to be inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in January alongside Keith Kachuk and uh, Pavel Dimitra. Uh, Mike, you mentioned Barkley Plager, and of course he was your assistant coach. You never had the honor to play with Bobby or Barkley Plager, but with one being your assistant coach, and I'm assuming Bobby Plager was just always around when you played for the Blues, uh, what was life like with the Plager brothers <laughs> as a player in St. Louis? I would have liked to have played with the Plager brothers, particularly when we went into Philadelphia. We could have used <laughs> some of that. Uh, you know, Barkley. Um, you know, Barkley was really intense, right? Everything was intense about him, right? And that's and I relate, to, you know, to that. And 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 Bobby, you know, was a man of a million stories. And and my my favorite for him is we were playing Montreal in the Forum for the first time, and he came up to me and asked me if I was starting, and I said I was, and he said. This is, this is what I do, and it's really worked for me when I play against Montreal, particularly in Montreal. He said, before I go on the ice, I, I, I repeat this, and he launches into a, our Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. And I just said, yeah, that, that seems like that's about the only way it's going to turn out well, right? You know, hope and a prayer. But, I mean, Bobby would just, that, that was Bob, right? He just, uh, out of the blue, unsuspected boom there's his, his one liner so yeah they were you know that's and that's the lore of of st louis um it's it's why uh, notwithstanding that i was inducted i'm i'm honored and proud to be inducted whether i was or i, if I wasn't it, it's it's long overdue for the the people that have played 
in St. Louis and had such a, uh, an impact on the game. And I remember St. Louis, you know, from when I was in college and it was shortly after they had the original, you know, they had started the franchise and it was modeled after, you know, the Toronto and Montreal where people got dressed up. They went to the game. It was a big deal um, socially. And, and uh, there's just, you know, a lot of class in that organization. And it was, it was, I think is from the expansion teams, probably the model. And, um, you know, uh, it, it just had a lot of earmarks of, of Montreal with Scotty with with the players that they brought in and and um, so I think it's 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 long overdue I think it's great that they've done it and uh, you know there's a, there's a lot of other players that will come into uh, the Blues Hall of Fame and I think that really presents the franchise. Uh, and its impact in the NHL. Uh, to go full circle with you, Mike, of course, you played for the St. Louis Blues at the beginning of your career, and now your post-playing career, you're uh, an agent, and some of your clients have played for or currently play for the St. Louis Blues. So you've been able to kind of see this full evolution of the St. Louis Blues all the way to winning the Stanley Cup and now where they're at today, which I would imagine is a pretty honorable thing for you. It, it, it is. It's been, that was a lot of fun to watch them win. Uh, I think Octagon, between myself and my colleagues, I think we represented seven members on that hockey team. Wow. So we were really engaged, uh, you know, through that run. And, and particularly, you know, as the season was sliding into oblivion by Christmas. And then when Jordan, who's a client, got a chance to play, you know, we'd been waiting a long time for that opportunity. And, and just to watch him, you know, uh, seize the moment. And, and then, of course, you know, nobody's, nobody's predicting the Stanley Cup win, but um, they just, they really played as a, as a team. I mean, that is maybe as much of a team win in professional sports as there, there ever was. And um, there, there's so many great moments by everybody on that hockey team um, that turned that season into a championship tournament or season. And, and uh, and now we have uh, Jordan is eventually probably this year going to become the all-time leader in in uh, wins for the Blues. So we're that's our that's our next milestone for the Blues. Mike Leud is our guest. Uh, final question that I've got for Mike, former Blues goalie, now NHL agent. He is, as he said, representing uh, Jordan Bennington. Uh, Mike, I did want to ask you a little bit about what we have seen from Benner so far this year because it, it looks as comfortable as we've seen him in that probably since that Stanley Cup championship. And that's not to take away anything of what he did in the seasons that followed, but he, he looks tremendous thus far. Have you noticed a change in his game this year? And if so, what specifically are you seeing as a as as an expert on the position from Jordan Bennington. I, I, I agree with you. I, I was at the home opener and I thought that was as solid a performance as he's played uh, and solid by just in the right spot, comfortable, calm, um, and not, you know, letting the frantic pace of the game, you know, escalate his game. Right. I mean, that's the, the key to playing goal is, as the faster the game goes, you know, the slower you have to react to it, which is not to say that your intensity level isn't there. It's just, you can't get swept up in the emotion of the back and forth. Um, you know, because you're essentially, you know, you're the last line of defense tracking a puck and looking for mistakes, uh, because that's when you're going to be needed. Um, in terms of a difference, uh, I would say that, you know, the, the, when, when you have an impact on the team as a goaltender, 
the natural move is to try to do more and to try to be more of a leader. And many times that's just impossible because of the position. You know, I always call it passive aggressive, right? You're going to be aggressive, but you've got to wait for something to happen first. You're not a third line energy guy. You're not going to go out there and, and, and just, uh, you know, play with a, a great deal of emotion in a particular shift, you know, because you just can't go from, you know, the high end back to equilibrium. So I think Jordan has, has kind of found his, his groove in terms of how he's going to be a leader on that team. And it's important for the goaltender to lead in his own way. But, um, uh, you know, you can't get, you, you can't lose sight of, you know, your job is to stop the puck. And, you know, many times that's, that's the only thing you can do, right? So the, the ebb and flow of the game, getting the guys revved up, you know, that's, that's just not the goaltender's role, right? It's just, it's too difficult with everything else. So playing within himself, I guess, would be uh, a short way of saying it. Well, Mike, we truly appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to hop on with us in St. Louis. I know so many Blues fans have uh, texted in talking about how you were one of their favorite players growing up. So uh, congratulations once again to you and your family for being inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. And uh, we look forward to seeing you around uh, Enterprise Center uh, real soon. Yeah, okay, great, guys. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. There you go. That's Mike Liute uh, headed into the Blues Hall of Fame. And I I pulled this one up, BK, because I was curious when he said it. Uh, So Mike Liute holds the Blues record for most games played as a goaltender, 347. uh, And he also holds the the record for most wins among goaltender at 151. uh, Two records that... Jordan Bennington could surpass by the end of his career here in St. Louis. Binner at 119 in terms of the wins right now, so he would need another 33 wins in order to yeah. uh, break that record. Listen, man, I don't think that we're going to see that broken this year. No, um, no, no. <laughs> if it does, we're getting a Vezina trophy, well, Mike guys. Mike said he thinks later on this season we could see him break his... I, I don't know that I'm I willing so. to go there. I think it's been amazing the, the performance that we've seen thus far from Jordan Bennington, and that's that's true. Like I genuinely believe this is the best we've seen Jordan Bennington perform. You could either argue since the cup year or the year after the year after he was really good. Yeah. Um, it just ended up getting shut down, unfortunately due to the pandemic, but Jordan Bennington in 2020 was playing really good hockey. Um, this year he's been as good as we've seen since then. 32, 33 wins feels like a little bit of a long shot there. I did like what he said there, Alex. He's playing within himself, and you notice that he didn't specifically say it, but if you kind of read between the lines a little bit. Which is what we do great here on BK and Ferrario. I think you can basically hear him saying, hey, he got a little bit over into some of the antics the last couple of seasons, and this year he's just playing hockey. Mm -hmm. He's just going out there and saying, you know what, my job is to stop the puck. I'm going to go out there and stop the puck. And I respect that. It's about time. I think that's what he needed. I, I do, too. And if you go back to when he won the Cup and then the year after when he was the All-Star, that was the Jordan Bennington, the calm, cool, and collected where you'd get one quote from him and that would be it. You, you got a little away from it, and I know people get so frustrated. I know our good buddy Greg Wyshynski, who's probably listening, uh, hates the antics that Bennington provided, but what Mike Leude said is what Bennington was trying to accomplish. You're trying to be more than just a goaltender. You're trying to be a, a, a lightning rod for energy for a group that just wasn't finding it. Now you've gone back to what you need to, and you let the team in front of you do it, and that goes a long way with goaltenders in the NHL, and it's no coincidence that his agent, 
is also a former goaltender who understands the, the position. That was Mike Leud. If you missed any of our conversation with him, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can also find us on YouTube where our studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. Just search 101ESPN STL. That's where you can go to find it. If you go over there, you can get involved in the chat or text us, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us the scenario we'll tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it coming up next you're on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call it's pk and ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 espn Three nine 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 six four six is the yeah. air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it guys better to forget it this time tomorrow we'll be talking about Yadier Molina being announced as the Cardinals next bench coach uh sure bet it why not yeah I mean you think the Cardinals would have some respect for Major League Baseball and wait until the World Series ends before they make a drop big nugget like that but why not screw that man the Giants are hiring Bob Mel stealing the press conference from Mike Schilt once again just stealing stuff from Mike Schilt yeah, I'm going to bet this one. Oh, they should do it on the same day as Mike Schilt. Incredible. <laughs> San Diego's going to be like, no, we'll push it off because the Cardinals are going to announce this. We want to make sure Schilt is by himself. And then Mo will be like, uh, yeah, we're going to have the press conference today, but we're going to push it off also. What are you waiting for? Mike Schilt. Mike Schilt's press conference. Same time. BK needs to be in Bad attendance. Man. Oh, yeah, I'm betting it. Yeah, bet it as well. Yeah. I, I think it's going to get done. I think the only holdup potentially would be like, if there's some I's to dot, T's to cross in terms of contractually what they're able to get done, it's possible he hasn't like come to America. Like he was on Instagram Live earlier today from a baseball stadium I down mean, in Puerto Rico. Yeah, come on. So I, I don't think he is coming here to sign. <laughs> that anything. would be the most yachty thing ever, announcing him as the bench coach and he's via Zoom from Puerto Rico. That would certainly be something. <laughs> um, I, I would imagine that's probably something that gets done very, very soon. I also think, like, I kind of poo pooed this when he said this, Alex. I do think it's something that will appeal to pitchers. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like if you're Aaron Nola, it helps to have Yadier Molina on the staff. If you're Sonny Gray, I think you're going to enjoy the fact that Yadier Molina is here to be able to talk with you. He just wants to be wanted. Exactly. Yadier Molina, give him a call. Can you imagine being yeah. Sonny Gray and being like, how about Nola? Yadier Molina is calling me. Oh, my God. And then Sonny Gray picks up. Yachty? Oh, sorry. Wrong number. <laughs> okay. I was, call, I was calling Aaron Nola. My bad. Alex, what do you got? Uh, better to forget it. Yachty or Molina's contract will be considered part of the payroll for the team. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm just joking. All right. Bet- $10 million less to spend. <laughs> All right, guys. Better to forget it. This week for the Blues games, there's three games starting tonight. We see a power play goal in two of the three games. Forget it. For who? For the Blues. Yeah, bet it. You said so confidently after four games where they haven't scored once. Blues are back, baby. <laughs> He's not wrong. I, I think the power play has looked a lot better. Um, where I have my <laughs> concerns about the five-on-five <laughs> offense, and I, I'm not so sure that there's a lot of reasons for optimism there. I do think there's reasons for optimism on the power play. And frankly, it just can't be this bad long-term. It's impossible. It, it would be the worst in the history of the NHL if they go the entire season without scoring on it. Damn it, man. You, you Haven't you learned from Fridays with our pickums? When was, you use demonstrative words, it doesn't work. 
if you think that the Blues are not going to score a power play goal all year, God bless you. I do. I think that I'm going to go out on this limb. I'm going to be alone on this island and saying they will indeed all right. score a power play goal. So bottom 10 in the NHL penalty kill for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, they're um, going to score one. Forget it. They'll score. Winnipeg. On the Blues power play? Yeah. Shorthanded? Where's Vancouver? Because we went in that Arizona game. It doesn't matter. Bottom third worst half. penalty kill. No, you know what they'll do? Calgary's the third best. That'll be when they score the power yeah, play goal. Three of them against Calgary. <laughs> Son of a perfect. Come out of nowhere. They'll lose the game five to three, and they'll oh, have whoa, three power play Oh, okay. Let's not go like that. God bless hockey. God bless you. I would forget this. I think they may be scoring one. I'm betting this, by the way. I'm saying they're going to get one per game. Yeah. Of course. Until they put Vron on the top unit. No goal. No goal. T-Bone? Bet it or forget it. We talked about the 49ers earlier and how things are crumbling around them. We didn't get much credit to Minnesota. Better forget it. The Vikings make the playoffs in the NFC. I'm glad you brought this up. It's something that I was thinking about talking about earlier, but we never really got to it because we like, ran out of time. You're just too negative. True. The NFC is a really interesting... No, it's not particularly. Replace like interest, Yana, replace like interesting for card, crappy. Yeah. The NFC is a very wide open crappy. race right now for the playoffs. When you look at the teams that would get in as of today, the divisional leaders are Philly, Detroit, San Francisco, and God bless it, Atlanta. The wild card teams as of today, Seattle, Dallas. I think those two teams are actually legitimately good. And Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. I think one of Minnesota or the Rams will end up in that spot that Tampa Bay currently occupies. And between the two, I mean, take a pick, flip a coin. They're they're both super mediocre. They're getting the right to lose in the first round to one of San Francisco or Detroit by 20 points. So uh, I'm going to I'll go ahead and bet it that it ends up being Minnesota. But I do I believe that? I don't know. Not really. uh, yeah, see, I'm not going to believe this one. I don't think Minnesota's going to get in. I I think that was a game that they had to prove that they could stay competitive. And I think that's a game that San Francisco just looked and said, this is an easy win for us. Can I make what is probably going to be a controversial statement? Justin Jefferson is a mediocre are wide you, receiver. Are you about to say Washington can get in? No, oh. I think that Minnesota is a better team this year than they were last year. I think they've got a better well, defense agree with than that. they did last year. Well, and, I don't know about that. And I, I think if Justin Jefferson gets back when and if, I think that their offense is going to be better than it was last year because I think him with Addison is a better duo than what they had last year out there. So I, I think this is actually a better team than what they had. It, the record just isn't indicative of that. They've also lost to Philadelphia and Kansas City in two of the four games, and all of their losses have come by one score. So it's not like they've been terrible. I'm still skeptical. I say I say the Rams, or I could see like a Washington. I know you were joking, but I could see Washington like sneaking their way in. Can I give you their, their upcoming schedule? Who, Minnesota? You tell me just quick off the top of your head win or loss right green bay at green bay win win at atlanta uh, i'll say win yeah, i think they're i think they're better football. i think that's a toss-up because atlanta atlanta's against new orleans win. Uh, that's a win at denver <laughs> win home against chicago win at las vegas win it's like five a, games right they there. may never lose again he's gonna say okay undefeated the rest of the season i think they'll probably drop one of the games that we just mentioned just because football's weird um and they're not a great team to where you can count on them every week probably the one i bet on they go four and one over the next five weeks you're seven and five on the season with a chance to be able to make the playoffs down the stretch now stretch run is not easy cincinnati detroit twice and once against green bay but nine wins might get you in in this nfc so i'll say about it i'm running in my head right now what the rams will get to because their next five at dallas at green bay bye week first seattle at arizona and they still got san francisco one more time baltimore once i will probably bet this but i think it's going to come down to these two teams three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for better to forget it guys better to forget it we see a star traded at this year's nfl trade deadline 
Would you guys consider Chase Young to be a star? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I think one of the Washington defensive ends probably could trade it. Sweater. Yeah. Or Chase Young. Young. So I'll, I'll say bet it because of that. I'm going to bet it because I think one of Judy or Sutton gets traded. Are they a star? Like I, when I think Judy and Sutton, I think Steve Smith going, that's a third-tier wide receiver. And I go, yeah, he's right. They're, until they're they, household names. Until they go to another team and become a dominant wide receiver. I think you're suffering from the team you're playing on. Last year, we okay. um, last year Jerry Judy was in the star conversation, it felt really? like. Okay. Like, when I think Judy, I think just like... I think Judy's super overrated. Has, I've never been yeah, a big fan. I, I but think he has a name because he's on a team that's bad. He's got a big name. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that counts. All right, I guess we're going to count that average wide receiver. You think as Kyle a star. Tucker is not a superstar? That's so, fair. like, come on. Well, that one I've admitted I was wrong on. This one I still stand firm. So, I guess if we're counting Judy and Sutton as stars, I would bet. I actually am not convinced Chase Young gets dealt, but I do think those wide receivers get moved in Denver. 3143999646 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, final thing here bet it or forget it. The majority of Cardinals fans will be happy with the way that this offseason goes. Oh, forget it. Yeah, I don't think anything can happen to where Cardinals fans are like, that's an A-plus because John Mosellock's the one in charge. It's so funny, man. My mentions every time that I mention the Cardinals, whether it's positive or mostly when it's positive. Yeah, I was going to say, come on. Uh, Cardinals fans are as pessimistic on their team right now as I have seen them in a long time, man. And I get it. Like, you're coming off of a 71-win season. They've earned that. They've earned that uh, disrespect from you as a fan Top base. five pick in the draft, though. Yeah, top five pick. A lot of money to could spend. Win the number one pick. Derek yeah. Gould said in his chat yesterday, based on what his numbers are showing, he could see fifty to sixty million dollars added to the payroll via new signings. That counts the Yachty Yeah, I was going to say Yachty's is going to be twenty-five mil. So if that's true, if you think they can add twenty-five to, or fifty to sixty million dollars, they could go out and get Aaron Nola and add one other significant starting pitcher. And you burned it. For, and you burned it for Burns. Yeah. So Whoever that you're is. in a great great um, position right now. I would forget this. So I can't see where the Cardinals. I. I have a serious concern of them either, A, not adding the third starter uh, and us walking to the spring training as, okay, Thompson's the five, or going into spring training going, did they do enough to the bullpen? The bullpen's the one that I'm not so sure about. I, I think they're going to say, I, I'm i going to say better. I think that the Cardinals are, maybe I'm giving them too much yeah, credit. you probably. are trusting. I think they understand that they screwed up, and I think they understand that they need to add serious payroll to this team. They need to add serious influx of talent. Now, I think this may come at the cost of their offense. I wouldn't be shocked if they end up disagreeing with us and they say, you know what? We've got enough talent on the offensive side of things. We've got Donovan. We've got Edmund. We can put them at second base. We're going to trade Nolan Gorman. I could totally see that happening and us being more pessimistic about their offseason than your casual Cardinals fan is because they will see signed a bunch of starting pitching, improved the biggest weakness from a year ago. This team now appears to be headed on the right track. I would also say this. Yachty ain't coming back to lose 90 games next year. That is not happening. If he's coming back, he has been assured by this front office. We are going to make some serious uh, Just like Nolan Arenado yeah. was assured back-to-back exactly. years. That worked out really well. Yeah. Speaking of the Cardinals no and speaking like, of Nolan Gorman, would it be considered a success in your mind if he becomes what Kyle Schwarber has become? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Schwarber is who he is and who he is is a consistent power threat at the top of your order. Absolutely. If Gorman is, it's, he turns out to be Schwarber, you'd be so, thrilled with that. And the the idea of him being Schwarber, obviously, is 
high power, low batting average, tons of strikeouts. I believe Schwarber led the league in strikeouts the last two. I think that this lineup would be just fine if he, in fact, is Kyle Schwarber. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was the fast lane yesterday when they were asked by a listener, hey, would it be considered a success if Nolan Gorman ends up becoming Kyle Schwarber? Alex, my answer to this is an overwhelming yes. However, I think when you actually watch Kyle Schwarber night to night, it feels different than when you just look at the back of the baseball card and see, oh, he's hitting 35 to 40 home runs every year. Yeah, that's a guy that I would definitely want to be on this team. Kyle Schwarber has 415 strikeouts over the last two years. Let me say that one more time. Kyle Schwarber has struck out 415 times since the start of last season. He leads Major League Baseball each of the last two years in strikeouts. That's a lot. Now, he has also hit 46 and 47 home runs over Mm. the last couple of seasons. So with the strikeouts comes the power. Now, when you look at the stats, Alex... Nolan Gorman this season had a 117 OPS plus. Kyle Schwarber in 2018, a 117 OPS plus. In 2018, Kyle Schwarber hit 26 home runs that season and had an OPS of 823. This year for the Cardinals, Nolan Gorman hit 27 home runs and had an 805 OPS. They are basically the same. Gorman just doing this at an earlier age. Gorman's 23. That was Schwarber's 25, age 25 season. So my question to you is, If I told you right now, you could sign up, you could hit the button, and it's guaranteed to lock it in. If Nolan Gorman over the next five years becomes what Schwarber has been over the last five, which is a 225 hitter that hits an average of 40 home runs every season, would you sign up for it? Hell yeah, brother. Someone explain to me why they wouldn't sign up for that. Strike out. Oh, I don't care. If you're striking out that many times, great. You're still hitting 47 bombs in the season for me, and there's a place for that on my team. Now, You're probably going to run into the problem with this if this is the type of guy of where, you know, he goes into the cold spell and everybody forgets that the big picture here is 40 plus home runs in a season. But the cold spell is going to be, well, you need somebody who can hit. Good news for the Cardinals is you got other options that could jump in if that need be. But, yeah, I would absolutely sign up if I'm getting this guy because 47 bombs and it's not so much the 47 bombs that you're going to hit in the regular season. It's the performance in the postseason. And if you're telling me that I'm getting Kyle Schwarber in the regular season, I'm assuming I'm getting Kyle Schwarber in the postseason. That's how you win championships. And I would sign up for this because one, you have the lineup depth that can mask his struggles. If he goes through a cold spurt, it's not like he's your number five hitter. If he was the number five hitter and then six or nine was an issue. I don't know if you could have a Nolan Gorman slash Kyle Schwarber type in your lineup because then if he goes cold, you're down to four hitters in the lineup, and that's just not going to be successful. So they've got a deep enough lineup to where he can become this guy, and if he gets cold, you can just move him down in the order. And to your point in the postseason, this is the exact kind of guy that can do what Kyle Schwarber does. And it's not so much that, yeah, when he gets out, he can hit a ton of home runs. He can kill you with any single pitch, and slugging matters once you get to the playoffs. Didn't we just see this with Adolis Garcia? I don't think he was striking out as much, but like, look at what just happened in the postseason. You're talking home run and back to back to back games. You're talking about 14 uh, RBIs, and I mean, so he had four strikeouts in the previous, not last night, but the game before that, and he still hit a home run. Now, the difference between Gorman and Schwarber, Schwarber walks a lot, and that helps to increase how often he gets on base. Is why he's allowed to be the leadoff hitter. If he wasn't getting on base as often as he does. He would not be the guy that ends up batting leadoff for the Phillies. He'd be somebody that's batting, you know, closer to like sixth or seventh in their order. And that's probably like Gorman is probably going to be, I, I think at least, 
like a six-hole hitter for the Cardinals. I think that's probably where he best serves as a role, where you're just like, hey, man, just hit bombs. Like, just bombs away at all times. Don't worry about like being a 270 to 280 hitter. That's not who you are. That's fine. Hit cannons. Hit rockets to, to, to the outfield all day long. That's what Schwarber is. But he's also very patient. So this year he walked 125 times. I don't think we're ever going to see Nolan Gorman doing something like that. It's just not in his range of outcomes. So that is something to keep in mind as well. I do think that the ceiling for Gorman is a little lower probably than Schwarber because of that lack of plate discipline, comparatively speaking. But if you could tell me right now that I could sign up for Schwarber, man, I would do it in a nanosecond. The, Schwarber is awesome. The one concern is like home runs that Schwarber's hitting in the ballparks that he's played at compared to Gorman hitting. Like, I don't know if Gorman's ever going to be that because there are Bush, no doubters though. Th- yeah. Those guys aren't affected by the ballpark in which they play. Okay. Like no- Nolan Gorman hit, what was it? 26 home runs this year. And he's playing most of his games at Bush stadium. And all of them were like, it didn't matter where you were. Those are gone because the way that he hits them, it's, it's a little different than like when Lars Nupar hits a home run or when you've got some of these guys that are just scraping it over the wall in Yankee Stadium. Like, it's it's different when Gorman hits him. He's he's hitting 450 shots. So okay. I'll yeah. shut up then. I wouldn't worry yeah. Thanks, about that man. at all. Last time BK told uh, me not to worry, I got zero points in our pick him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, if, he's gonna, if you think he can become this, you can't trade this in the offseason. You just can't. I, you don't have someone else that can profile this way. I, I think... Well, then the, you better spend money on free agents. Have Nolan Go- or, excuse me. Let me ask this a different way. If I told you next year for the Cardinals, you can have one of the following two things. You can either have Nolan Gorman, which is going to be Kyle Schwarber, or you can have Dylan Cease, who has the potential to be your Zach Wheeler. What would you rather have? I'd go Dylan Cease. Because in this situation, I'm assuming I also signed Aaron Nola. Potentially, yeah. And I just I revamped my rotation to be one of the best by trading one player. As much as I love Cease, I'd probably have Gorman. And the reason is, is because I think you can still build a playoff rotation without Cease. Because it's harder to replace the Gorman power to replace, than it is to replace the production that yeah. you're going to be getting from Dylan Cease. It's harder to replace a 40 home run hitter in Nolan Debatable. Gorman from the left side. Because as much as I like Newport, like his ceiling might be 25. Somebody on the text line asked, why didn't the Cardinals express interest in Schwarber when he was a free agent? Because of Gorman. Yeah. They... they now, they were wrong on this when they did this with like Tyler O'Neill versus oh, Bryce boy. Harper. Good. A, by the way, that's a very different level of free agent uh, than no, Kyle Schwarber. No. Both of them are really helpful pieces. One of them is a future Hall of Famer. The other is like one of the greatest accent pieces that you could possibly ask for inside of your lineup. But the reason why the Cardinals didn't want to sign, there were many. Bryce Harper, in part, was because they had Tyler O'Neill, who projected well. The reason why they didn't sign Kyle Schorber is because they had a guy that profiled very similarly to him that was coming through their system. If I have Lars Newpar hitting 25 and Donovan, who's hitting 15, it's the same guy. <laughs> no, it's two guys. Same thing. I'm yeah. still getting my 40 home runs. Coming up next, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm BK 
DK. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. So Adolis Garcia is a really good baseball player. Unfortunately, he no longer plays for the Cardinals and instead is playing for the Texas Rangers. Well, he never played for the Cardinals. Well, he was here and then they DFA'd him and then he ended up going to the Rangers oh, no. and then they DFA'd him. Oh, so they, him pulled, they pulled the I, old mold special. I bet the guy we got in dfa Garcia four was a great player. Yeah, who, it, it no, actually, it was Brett Cecil. Oh, it was KK. No. Um, oh, Brett and Cecil. Then they ended up getting cash considerations in return. So yeah, it didn't really work out for anybody involved. Way to go, guys! I'm KK not going to criticize the Cardinals for this one. I know that's going to make our text line mad at three one four three nine 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 six four six, but I'm not going to criticize them for this. If you want to be critical of them for the Randy Rosarena decision, you should. If you want to be critical critical of them for not going out and getting Nathan Avaldi, who signed a perfectly reasonable deal last offseason when the Cardinals needed more pitching. Absolutely. Go ahead. Be, be critical of them for that. If you want to be critical of them for going out and signing Wilson Contreras to a massive contract while clearly not understanding what kind of a player they were signing and hoping to change him after he has been a fully formed individual, be critical of that, too. There's a lot that you can reasonably be critical of this team for after they won 71 games last year. The Adolis Garcia decision is not on that list for me, Alex. Uh, I'll be critical just of their use of the 40-man roster because, like, you could have gotten rid of other guys. But I'm not going to be critical that the Cardinals missed out on this perennial all-star when every other team except the Texas Rangers, who also DFA'd him, said, meh, he's not our cup of tea. We got to find somebody else. So, yeah, you're right. Like, it's it's incredible what he's doing, and it sucks because the Cardinals need outfielders that can hit bombs and play good defense, and guess what? There's two of them you could have used, but for this scenario, I look at it and say, ah, this just was a player that was never going to thrive where he was at and thrived elsewhere. Yeah, I, I can't blame them because everybody else didn't want him, and, and that is the biggest thing for this is give credit to Garcia for developing him himself, and I'm not trying to push away anything from the Rangers did and how they helped him grow. But the Rangers gave up on him at one point, and then nobody wanted him. He decided, you know what, I'm going to take my medicine. I'm going to go down to the minor leagues. I'm going to work with the Texas Rangers, and I'm going to become a better baseball player and work on things. And in a situation in which we've seen the Cardinals, it's tough to balance developing a guy like the Rangers did in his first full season where they lost 102 games compared to the Cardinals who are trying to win while also developing. It's why people don't like to hear this. It's why Carlson only gets at-bats against lefties right now because they don't have time to wait and develop him against right-handed pitching. That is the correct answer. Thank you. The Texas Rangers have the benefit of time. They had the benefit of development at the big league level. The Cardinals do not. The first year that Adolis Garcia got everyday opportunities for the Rangers, first of all, he was 28 years old and it came in the year 2021. This is after two years of the Cardinals DFAing him. Two years later, he finally got a real opportunity with him. They went 60 and 102 that season. The next year, the second year of Adolis Garcia being an everyday player. Again, he was basically this season that I'm talking about in 2022, the equivalent of Juan Yepes offensively. He ended up that season having a 10% above league average offensive season, and they won 68 games. Finally, this year, it's all come together for the team, for the player, for everybody involved. I understand why you're mad about the Cardinals right now. But let's not misdirect that anger towards the Adolis Garcia situation. That anger should be placed at other things that were actionable. I don't think they messed up here. This is like if this offseason they give up on Juan Yepes. I'm not going to be mad about that. It's like if they give up on Moises Gomez. I'm not going to be mad about that. And if those guys end up going on elsewhere to have success, more power to them. 
that does not mean that it was going to work out here for them because it just they they never got the opportunity and they never earned the opportunity here in St. Louis. For Alex and Tebow and I'm BK. Looking forward to the game tonight. Who you guys think ends up going going to the World Series? Is it going to be the Phillies or the Diamondbacks? I thought when you meant game, the Blues and Jets. I'll say it's the Di- uh, Phillies. I'm going to say Phillies as well. I think the Phillies advance. Do you think that the Blues win tonight? Hell yeah. Pre-game coverage with Alex and Joey coming up tonight at 645. We'll we'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane is coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.